This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is... You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and term supply. See mcdonalds.com. Previously on Homestale Radio. I just think it's a good move all round. I think Parrish is happy. We're happy. More importantly, the HF are happy. Um, so it's just. Oh, brilliant! Alex, you've, we've got some tweets in on, on various things. I don't know if you've picked up Mikey's message to tell you to look at them. You haven't. No, I haven't. I've just have, seen your I'm face. Doing... Just seen your little face. Well, no, because I'm Good just job. trying to sign in. Can someone send me the details? I think we should have this conversation off air. <laughs> <laughs> um. For all our contact information and to send us an email, visit holradio.net forward slash contact. Hello and welcome to Homestay Radio. I am Chris Hambling and tonight this programme is sponsored by the norovirus as I am currently suffering from it and may vomit at any time. Tonight we review Pardew's homecoming as the Eagles defeated Spurs 2-1 at Sellers Park with goals from Dwight Gale and Jason Punchin. We'll also be speaking live to former Palace winger Bobby Barry about his time at the club, his career and what he's up to now. And if that wasn't enough, we're joined by TalkSport's Mickey Quinn for a chat about Pardew, Newcastle, Liverpool and of course Palace. Uh, as every show, uh, do get in touch with us today. Contact us by email using our contact form, holradio.net forward slash contact. You can tweet us at holradio. Message us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash holradio, or go to the chat room, holradio.net forward slash chat. Uh, so just before we speak to Bobby Barry, here's our weekly visit to news in Not So Brief. Hashtag gel knows. Get in touch with the show. All of our contact details can be found at holradio.net forward slash contact. All the latest news from around Selhurst Park. This is News In. Not so. Saleh Kaikai ended his month-long stint at Cambridge United by helping them squeeze into the FA Cup fourth round by beating Luton Town 2-1. I think it was bad news for Peter Dunn and Barnsley who were eliminated from the cup after being beaten 2-0 by championship side Middlesbrough. Ryan Innes missed out on you. facing Manchester United in... Excuse me, it's my turn now, please. Ryan Innes missed out on facing Manchester United in Yeovil Town Colours as he was an unused substitute as the Glovers were beaten 2-0 by the Red Devils thanks to goals from Ander Herrera and Angel Di Maria. 
Stephen Dobby's Fleetwood Sam missed out on the opportunities to creep closer to the playoff places after they let a two-goal lead slip to league leaders Swindon Tarn. Another unused substitute was Jerome Binham-Williams for Southend United in their one-all draw with Northampton Town in League Two, having missed the previous three games through suspension after being dismissed against Wickham Wanderers last month. Striker Andrew Johnson has sadly been released by Crystal Palace after his short-term contract expired. The Eagles legend returned to the club on a free transfer in September and was named in the club's 25-man Premier League squad, but made just one appearance for the Eagles in his second spell. Thanks for nothing, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> in a draw for the FA Cup fourth round, Palace are drawn away at Southampton or Ipswich. The replay is to be played. The, the replay? Come on! Oh, right, yeah. The replay is to be played next Tuesday evening at Portman Road. Yeah, well done. Replay. I thought someone was trying to get ahead of themselves. No, you see, the thing is, you've just got to read the words that are in front of you. People keep going off script, Jill, and that's why it's going wrong. Anyway. Like you yeah, I have, yeah. Palace, that was the irony, I was hoping, anyway, doesn't matter. Palace's development side started this, <laughs> started the second half of their under-21 league campaign in 7th heaven. Ah, oh, oh, you've copied this from somewhere, Mikey. After recording oh, an emphatic 7-2 win against third place Queen's Park Rangers on an incredible afternoon at the K&K Stadium. Not Stadium. Stadium. Morgan Ferrier was a star performer as he hit a hat-trick and a brace from Kyle De Silva as well as well as as well as efforts from Reese Alassani and Jake Gray completed the drubbing as the Eagles ran riot. Hmm. Yannick Balassi's preparations for the upcoming Africa Cup of Nations tournament began well as he scored a stoppage time equaliser to give the DRC a one-all draw against African heavyweights Cameroon on Wednesday. African heavyweights. Um, Eagle striker Kezia Pye has been named in, <laughs> in China's Wednesday. Yeah, that's, that seems to have been changed. In Ghana's, I'm pretty sure he plays yep, in Ghana. Yep. Uh, it's 23 <laughs> men's squad for the African Cup of Nations. The development striker was on loan at Cambridge this season, was handed a place in the Black Stars Provisional 30 men training camp ahead of the tournament in Papua New Guinea later this month. Gotcha. Australia captain Mila Jelinek enjoyed the perfect start to his side's Asian Cup campaign as he scored in a Socceroos 4-1 victory against Kuwait on the opening day of the tournament. The midfielder scored from the penalty spot on 62 minutes to put his side in control of the game after they had fallen behind early on against the golf side. Yeah, that's how you do it. And finally, golf, golf. yeah, golf, golf. Fi mm. And finally, as someone as Jell is changing the thing I'm writing as I'm trying to read it, and finally, <laughs> Alex Winter has joined Colchester United on loan from Crystal Palace on a per on loan. I've done it. He's done it. <laughs> defender Alex Winter has joined Colchester United from Crystal Palace on a permanent deal. The defender has spent the early part of the season on loan at Portsmouth, but after that loan spell was cut short, he has now joined the U's in League One. Element news, views, and reviews on Crystal Palace. www.theeagleselement.com. Hello, and welcome back to Homestar Radio. And we are joined by Bobby Bowery. Hello, mate. Good evening. Happy well. <laughs> yeah, okay, thanks. Um, oh, just notice there's a horrible hiss in the background that will disappear any second now, mate. There we go. Sorry. Uh, right, okay. Um, right. This is Chris. I'm uh, just to let you know who I am. <laughs> I'm uh, yeah, and we're just gonna just sort of start really talking about your early career, and um, yeah, then get into a bit of Palace chat if we can, and then see what you're up to now. So, um, no problem at all. 
just before talking about um, you know your signing for Palace and what have you, you know, getting before when you got into football, who was your hero growing up, and and, and who did you support? Uh, my hero was John Barnes. Uh, love love watching him play. You know, I'm originally a, an East London lad, so um, oh, right. I'm a Wolfram Stoke boy, and uh, <laughs> grew up watching Tottenham and Arsenal. So uh, my, my two my two favourite players were probably uh, Glenn Odell and John Barnes. Um, I just thought they were unbelievable players for, the, for their generation, and um, you know, even in this day and age here, they probably stand, stand up like a sore thumb simply because they were so good on the ball. Absolutely, and obviously Barnes, uh, Barnes playing very much in the position that you broke through in um, out on the wing there. Um, so I mean, you signed for Palace in uh, well ninety one, ninety two season, I think, quite late on. Uh, you had a spell at QPR without an appearance. How did the move to Palace come about? Yeah, it's quite strange. It's quite strange when you look at the um, the, the stats on my stuff. Basically, what had happened was I, I'd been playing non-league football. Um, and I've been I've been into a few clubs, and I, I I actually started out not actually at QPR. I got offered a year's contract at QPR, and then I went on trial at Arsenal. And um, I played on a Wednesday night, really bleak Wednesday night. Played there on the Friday. George Graham rang up and said, um, "We're going to offer you eighteen months." In the meantime, I had a, a so-called agent ringing up on my behalf. Um, I went to train at Crystal Palace, and it was literally unbelievable going into the training ground. Seeing, meeting Mark Wright, Ian, uh, Mark Wright, Ian Wright, and the, and the other lads, and including Alan Pardew, who's obviously now the manager. Yeah. Um, they made me feel so welcome. Um, after the session, the gaffer at the time, Steve Coppel, he came over, shook my hand, thought I'd done well, said, "Look, we really like, we really be interested in signing you," and um, it really went from there. To be honest with you. Well, that's, I mean, that's incredibly quick how that all sort of came about. And like you say, it was an amazing team at the time. So, I mean, you signed it. I suppose Palace were probably coming off the back of the, that most successful period, you know, finishing third and somehow not getting into Europe and all that sort of stuff. And sort of as you got into the side, we started losing, losing some key players. But, but even so, you did play alongside the likes of John Salako, Gareth Southgate, Chris Armstrong later on. Who was the, the best player you played with at Palace? Um... It was really quite. It was really quite strange because probably a couple of weeks after I'd, I'd signed, I'd, I'd only spent sort of one or two weeks, and then Wrighty got sold to Arsenal. Yeah. So I didn't obviously didn't see too much of you know actually working with him. Um, if, if I'm being brutally honest with you, the, the, the two most talented players actually for, for actual ability, and probably you know who, who we are played with, believe it or not, was Stan Collymore, who was unbelievable, yeah. both footed and. Sadly for the Palace fans and, and us players, we didn't really see the best of him in a Palace shirt. Uh, and there was another lad who, who quite sadly died quite recently, uh, David White, centre forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he was an unbelievable tennis lad. I mean, you know, we, we obviously had John Slarker at the time, another lad, Chris Armstrong, and we had a very successful team because we won the championship that year. Um, but those two, on a day-to-day basis, you could pull things off in training. We, it, it was literally jaw-dropping. Yeah. I was, yeah, you're right. It's such a shame about David White. I mean, I remember hearing that news, but it's just so sad, you know. And the guy had so much ability. He just didn't, he never quite made the, the, the impact, I suppose, in his career that he thought he would, but he had a good spell at no. Charlton as well. That's why, I mean, I, I remember it's a long time ago. We, we were top of the league and we went to West Bromwich Albion. Uh, we were 1 0 down and we ended up beating them 4 2. And it, it, we scored four, probably the best goals you'll ever see in one game. I think Gareth got one. Chris Coleman scored with a looping header, but David White scored a goal. He, he basically cut two defenders in half and bent in the top corner. And it, it was just fantastic to, 
to work with those kind of guys. And, um, you know, it's, it's a real shame, obviously, tragic, tragedy that he, you know, passed away with uh, yeah. so much of his life still, still to under Porter. Absolutely. Uh, talking of players you did play with, Simon Osborne's just got in touch with a tweet and said that you always talk sense. So, no, no pressure. <laughs> yeah, well, he, listen, he, he's probably one of my best friends in football. Um, you know, when I, when I first went there, himself and si uh, Simon Woods, as we know, the Pisto kids, you know, they, they made me feel so welcome. Uh, you know, the, the other guys at the time, you know, I came in there from a non-league background. You know, I was, very, I, was a street, I was a street kid. I was raw. Um, but it was fantastic the fact that, you know, we had lots of Eddie McGoldrick, Andy, I mean, Andy Fawn, Eric Young, those kind of people there were, were, re were really good for me because they made me feel so welcome and really comfortable, to be honest with you, at the time, as well as the staff. You know, I can't speak highly enough of Steve Coppell, Alan Smith, and those kind of guys there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, going back to your, um, your debut against Liverpool, that was in the Carling Cup. I mean, I think that was a... There was a replay there as well, wasn't there? But, I mean, Palace actually came out on top on that one. What were your memories of that experience, making your debut in, in, in that environment? Well, I'm a Liverpool supporter. I'm, <laughs> John Barkley one of my favourite players. And um, the week before, I travelled with the first team, my first travel, and we got dumped, they got dumped 5-0 on the Saturday. And I'm yep. thinking, cool, we've got these on a Tuesday night in the Coca-Cola Cup. Um, Jeff Thomas got injured. Uh, Monday they said I was going to be travelling, and on the Tuesday up there, I got called into the to the. Uh, I was up in a hotel, and Wally Dan says to me, um, "You're playing tonight." Um, <laughs> so it was my debut against my against my against team my support, and it was a bit of a whirlwind evening. I, I hit the bar after about five or ten minutes. I managed and I, I actually managed to win man of the match, and it was um, it, it's still very emotional for me because. It was absolutely sort of all over stuff coming from where I'd come in sort of seven or eight months to, to playing against, at that time, definitely one of the best teams in England. Yeah, absolutely. We've got a memory from a, a listener who's, who's tweeted in saying that uh, Lions 550 says, I remember seeing Barry's debut away at uh, Anfield midweek where you dummied the keeper and hit the post. So that's <laughs> a good memory there. Yeah, by, uh, I probably should have scored. It was a tight angle. It was a tight angle for me at the time and it was on my <laughs> left foot. So, yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> good stuff um, that same season saw Palace uh, relegated on an incredible 49 points which is obviously unthinkable these days but it also saw you grab your uh, only Palace gold in a win against Aston Villa do you recall that one? as clear as day um, I'd, I'd sort of you know it was a typical Steve Coppel I, 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 played, I played on the Tuesday got man in the match I was sub on a Saturday against uh, Sheffield United we won 1-0 I came on for 10 minutes then he put me back in the team for the replay which we won which was a fantastic night uh, at Celeste that time. And then um, I was in and out of the team, got in the team. Uh, I think we went to Blackburn. We beat them 3-1. We were having a little bit of a good run. Um, we played Aston Villa, who were actually going for the league that year under Ron Atkinson. And they had some fantastic players, Paul McGraw, Bailey Atkinson, Dean Saunders, Ray Houghton at the time. And um, lucky for me, a ball dropped out in the edge of the box and I, I managed to rifle it home from probably 18, 19 yards out, which was just fantastic feeling at the time. Probably something where a lot of people know me is the one thing that let me down in my career because I could actually, I could actually, I was, I was, I was good finishing in training, but that sets you apart from the next level. The people who can score goals in in, in big games, in games on a regular basis on midfield, like the people like the Gerrards and, and the Lampards, you know, that, that's why they're so successful and been great players for England and their teams. But um, it, was, it was, it was very, it was an emotional, it was an emotional evening, and it was, it was, it was a really good night for myself personally. 
it's funny you should, you should mention the goal scoring because um, Gels, uh, who's one of the presenters on here, I think he's currently eating his dinner, which is why you can't hear him in the background. But um, <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, he's just reminded me that you um, you scored a hat trick against Brighton in a friendly for us. Is that it? Was Steve Foster's testimonial? I don't think it was a hat trick. I mean, I've got two. We, I got this. We went down to Brighton, and we it was probably the most one-sided game I'd ever. It was a great, five nil. Absolutely, yeah. We 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 were unbelievable that night. It, it was you, the you first star on our name was Steve Foster. It was a it was an interesting game. We we, we played very well as a team, and uh, we, we were good and. You know, the fans were singing Bobby, Bobby for England. That's what the fans were singing. There was yeah, loads of us well, down there. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the one crying thing for me that year, I was I was on the verge of getting into the the under twenty one, the two long tournament, and mm. I, I, I suffered me cushion injured um, and not enough voice to wait. And I actually missed the last game of the season. I was watching it on. Te- I was actually at home listening on the radio when we got beat ironically by Arsenal and Mr. Wright. We said she sent us down. Yeah. Oh, don't. <laughs> don't mind us in that. Nah, horrible. You know, uh, but then if, if you look at the other side of it, it, put, it actually helped us going down because the following year, the likes of myself, Roger, Osborne, and that actually played 20, 35 games in the team that got promoted and actually helped our careers, to be honest with you, because I don't think if, we were, if we'd have stayed in the Premiership, we would have got as many starts, personally. Yeah, you've you've led me on perfectly to what I wanted to talk to you about next. Obviously, that promotion season that was working under Alan Smith. What was what was he like in comparison to Coppola as a manager? Because they're very different people, weren't they? Steve was very meticulous. He was hands on. Uh, Alan was hands on to a point. Alan gave us a lot of freedom. I mean, yeah. if, if you speak to a lot of, a lot of supporters, who, who I can I can remember two or three games that season where. You know, we played. I think we. I think we started off the season. We played Tranmere. We had a nil-nil. Aussie played. I think he. I think he actually put his shoulder around that game. And then I got sent off. Believe it. I got sent off against Bristol City on on the Saturday, which is a. Uh, I was very disturbed. I got sent off for an elbow. We lost the game. Uh, and then we're playing Nottingham Forest. We were the favourites to get promoted. That uh, uh, Colin Moore was there at the time. Stuart Pearce still playing him. I think we beat him two-nil that night. And then I got. Then I served me, me ban. We played Sunderland on the telly, we won one nil. But it was there were two or three games that stood out that season for me where we were we were head and shoulders the best team. It was Portsmouth at home, five uh, one, Chris Armstrong hat trick, uh, Scarf Southgate scored probably the goal of the season, ran thirty five forty yards of the ball and slammed in the top corner. And then we then we went away to West Brom and won four one, and then we came back and beat Stoke something like three or four nil. Fun that be John Tlarko's first game back from his cruise ship, and he scored oh. two goals that, that, on that, that particular day. But um, it, it, those were great times for me personally because we, we had some good players in that, in that team. You know, the likes of Chris Coleman, which you saw, I'm really good friends with still. Um, Armstrong, Paul Williams, you know, he's an unsung hero. Mm. Um, Dean Gordon, you know, what a good player he was, by the way. You know, he, he was oh, yeah. a fantastic player. Um, obviously, we had Nigel Martin. It, the spirit we had. I think Ozzy sort of alluded to that point a, a couple of weeks ago. The spirit we had, we used to go out together, you know, and we, 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 we were no superstars, and that's what gained us winning that promotion that year and winning that league quite convincingly, if I'll be honest with you. Yeah, absolutely. One of the one of the plays you, uh, that was, I suppose, uh, from Palace fans, made the, one of the biggest impacts on that promotion season was Paul Stewart, who came in on loan, didn't he? What was what was he like as a, as a player to play alongside? An absolute character. We, in fact, you missed the name there. We pulled... 
I think we brought Paul Stewart and Ian Dowie in, in, oh, in, oh, yeah, yeah, in at one true, point. Yeah. And uh, we played Charlton in a lot. That year, we must have played Charlton every other week. We played Charlton, I think it was in the Anglo-Italian Cup, the Carlin Cup in the league. And I think they beat us with a weakened team in the Anglo-Italian and we beat them four times that year. And Paul Stewart, I think he scored one. We beat him 2-0 on the live game on the telly. He was an absolute character in terms of um, on a night out, you'd have to watch your back for every second. Um, he was, he was a very much of a joker, but he was a very good player, by the way. He could lead the line um, and let's get it right. He played for some top clubs, Tottenham and Man City in his career, you know. So at, at the time, he was a very good take for us because we needed that experience to partner Chris Armstrong at the time. Um, a lot of people were exclaiming at your memory being so good. <laughs> one of the one of our regular listeners, Paul's, got in touch to say, "How do you remember all these old games? I forget who we played last week." So, <laughs> certainly enjoyed well, it. Well, you always <laughs> remember the ones that stand out, and, and you know the, the good games in terms of the cup games, and you know after that, you know we we, we, had, some after, we had some good cup runs. You know, we obviously I was in the squad when we when we lost to Man United in, in the um, in the FA Cup. You know, the replay at uh, Villa Park. Um, we, we had some good runs, you know. We, we had some, we had some good runs. The, the one failing for us, we, we um, the consistency, and you know, we'll probably touch on that later on. It's going to be the same this season. If, if they can get a bit of consistency, you know, I, I've got no doubt that we're going to start this season. Yeah, I, I'm glad you've said that because it was a, it certainly was a question later on. But we will come back to that. Um, so the, the following season after that amazing promotion season, that, that turned out to be your, your last at Palace. And again, an incredible situation with Palace being relegated on 45 points and finishing fourth bottom because the league restructured. And fans felt a sense of injustice about that. I mean, it must have been horrible at, at the club to go through that. Yeah, it was a real in-and-out season for me, that one. I'd got myself... We started the season, and to you in my memory, I think we got absolutely murdered 6-1 by Liverpool. Yeah. And I, I came off the bench at 5-1, and I was thinking, what am I doing coming on the coming on this pitch <laughs> at 5-1? I, I, I just remember Steve McManaman absolutely running right, and Jan Mulby never broke sweat that day. He was unbelievable. Um, but the, the, one, the one underlining memory of, of that season, being part of one of the few Palace teams to ever beat Arsenal at Arsenal, Mm, um, yeah. I think we, 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 we won 2-1 that day we played ever so well um, we probably caught Arsenal on a, on a good run because they played in midweek in the, in the Champions League or whatever it was at the time and you know they, they rested a couple of players and we played well that day and it, it was fantastic achievement to actually be part of a team to actually to win at Arsenal and I think we drew at Liverpool that year as well and we drew at Tottenham so we had some good results I just felt at the time we were always short of a, a, a little bit of quality at the top end to support Chris Armstrong you know, obviously, obviously the budget dictates things, and yeah. you know, yes, as you said, we were a little bit unlucky with the restructuring of the league. But um, the, my only regret for that year, I, I felt I should have played some more games. I didn't, you know, but you know, everyone has an opinion. And then um, I made the grave error of signing for another club, but probably for a little bit more money when I should have stayed for a palace. Yeah, well, that was obviously goes on to my next question. Obviously, Millwall paid a, a good fee to the club for you. Um, and obviously, you know, convinced you to, to sign for them. You had, you had six years in, in Bermondsey, but so you say you regret uh, joining them. We, you know, you don't want to focus too much on Millwall for obvious reasons. But um, what, no. I mean, you must, what are your personal highlights there? You must, you know, obviously, it's a long time to be at a club. Uh, I won player of the year um, a couple of times there. Um, you know, for Bermondsey, I didn't need to leave Palace at the time. You know, an agent done me deal and everything was done really rushed. And for principle, I would have played at Palace that year because Palace were back in the championship. And, I, and that level there, I, I was a decent player at that level there. And we had some good players. And 
I really, and I still speak to Mick McCarthy now in terms of my dealings with my other bits and pieces. And he sold the club to me, and he was a fantastic person for me. Um, my first year there, we were top of the league, and Palace fans don't really like this, but obviously I went back to Palace and won the man the match at Palace that day. Yeah. We beat Palace two one, um, which was a, a bit of a bit sweet one for me because I didn't celebrate because Palace is my club, but um, it won me over with the Millwall fans because obviously you know they helped me out. Massively because I was, you know, one I was, you know, just no better at the time. I was, I was a black player coming into Millwall, and the fact that I was coming from their local rival, so I had a lot on my plate for a young. I was 24 years of age, 24 years of age, so I had a lot on. Um, in my six years, I had some fantastic times here. We had some good cup runs. I remember going to Everton, uh, beating Everton in a cup. Um, had some really good times there. Um, we got to the auto windscreen final at Wembley, which was a great achievement at the time. Um, but looking at it, I, 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 I personally underachieved what I should have done. And I spoke to Simon Osborne about this the other day. You know, he had a few moves where he had to leave a club to guarantee himself playing. And, you know, at the time I played a lot of games there. I was club captain under three different managers. So, you know, even when I go back there, I've got a little respect there as I do with people at Palace. But um, yeah. sometimes in life you... You, you can make a decision rightly or wrong there, as we all know. And at that time there, sometimes getting short-term for more money isn't always the best the best thing. And, you know, that's what I talk about with, with a lot of the young players that I'm involved with and, and who I speak to as well these days. Yeah, I say it's good. It's always good advice, you think. I mean, we've obviously got the the example of John Bostock at Palace um, that we can use for all our academy kids. If, you know, if you go and chase the money too early, then, you know, you, you, yes. can, have, you can lose a career. Yeah. Well, it, it, that's really sad because I, 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 I know his, I know his dad well, and um, you know it's, it's, it can be damaging. And you know, even nearer to the time now, if you look at Wilf, fantastic move on paper to Man United. Yeah. If you look at him now, I mean, I was so pleased that he did so well yesterday. By the way, for the yeah. twenty, thirty minutes or whatever he came on for, he looked outstanding. But you know, for me, sometimes the, the, the lure of the money with football all day, all these days, it's the business and I understand this and I'm in the business so I know what goes on but I just feel sometimes the players lose out and the players don't develop as quickly as they should do which is a real crying shame because as we all know, Crystal Palace and the Croydon area is um, is littered with loads of real facades, I can tell you. I mean, I, I, see, I see a lot of grassroots football and it's some unbelievable talent kicking around at this moment in time. I don't, it really is and obviously Palace have got quite a good record of uh, identifying, well, yeah. Yeah, identifying and, and coaching these guys through. Um, I, I know Joe wants to speak, but very, very quickly back on um, on the Bostock thing. He came out in the press recently and, and talked oh, sort of openly about how it was a mistake. And I think a lot of Palace fans accept that he was very, very young when he when he made that decision. Um, I mean, how how do you protect someone like that from 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 making that kind of decision? Do you, do you think he made a mistake at the time, even without hindsight? You know. I'll, I'll give you a little bit of scenario here. Our, our company looked after a young lad who was at Exeter three weeks ago and he's just signed for Swansea. So it's, it's life-changing for him, for his family, but yeah. we feel it's the right step up in terms of he's going to get some game time and education being at that club as it's not a top six, seven club. Bostock went to Tottenham when they were you know, going for the Champions League kind of places. They, they brought a lot of good English talent in terms of Bostock, Tom Huddleston, Carl Walker, um, Cole Norton, Dawson at the time, you know, Andy Reid. They, they, they brought a lot of players in. And sometimes you look at it, on the, you look at it on, on, the, on the face value of it, it's a great move. But ultimately, 
the only way you can develop these days is by playing first team matches, playing, and also being developed by the coaches. And, you know, I really do hope Johnny Bostock comes back into this country and someone takes a chance on him so he can fulfil his talent and show everyone what a good player he is. Absolutely. Couldn't, couldn't agree more on that. Um, Joe, you want a quick question there? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I just wanted to ask you something about Millwall before, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go past that. Um, you, you said about the grassroots and everything, Bobby. Um, I mean, obviously, yeah. you know, a, a lot of our problems um, for the last two or three years at Palace have been a, a lack of left-backs. Um, there just seems to... Is there a lack? Does everybody want to be the new Wolf Zaha or, you know, the next big striker? And, 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 and these kids that are coming, you know, the kids coming through, there, there seems to be a lack of... Of, of quality defenders, you know, is it is it something that you see at grassroots level, or is it, or is it, you know, yeah, are there kids out uh, there that are just just not they're not given the chance? I'll tell you one thing. What, what I would say to that, and it's a great question. You have a talented young kid who goes into the system at 12, 13, 14, and unless he's got hold of and moulded into to be a team player as well as a skillful, you know, there's loads of people with loads of skill, loads of ability. I say for two or three things. Can he score a goal, stop a goal, or create a goal? And if you look at a lot of players in a lot of the clubs, they do neither of them. So then you end up with a, with a team of someone who can't create goals. So then you talk about your left-back position. There aren't many good left-backs in England. Um, I actually think Palace have got a young one in their ranks. I actually watched him get sent off a couple of weeks ago. The lad Williams, Jerome Williams. Oh yeah. He's not ready yet, but you know he's got a chance. I identified this um, topic with Palace needing a striker and a left-back uh, just before Christmas on my friend Troy Townsend's um, BT show with regarding the fact that Joel, uh, the lad Ward is a fantastic player, but when he plays on the left side, you can never get an overlapping play because he's always going to have to chop back and get it back on his right foot. Yeah. And if you look at it now, if you're going to play with Glenn Murray or Shamak, the one thing Palace need to do, I know we won yesterday, we need to put balls in the box some quality. And that's See, one failing, I think, we, you know, for, for me watching them. And I've been to, I didn't go to Southampton. I went to the Aston Villa game where I felt, you know, I thought we had lack of ideas and a lack of um, imagination in the final third. Yesterday's game, I quite enjoyed because we looked like we had a bit of pat on the play. And the boys obviously looked like they wanted to impress the new manager, which is, which is normally the scenario when a new manager comes in. And um, I feel that we need to start getting more bodies in the box, being on the front foot and, you know, actually unleash, unleashing a little bit of the fear, you know, of, of God in the teams and, and actually go and attack them. Yeah, definitely. I just, I, go on, go on, Joe. I, sorry, I just got one, <laughs> one question. I, I'm massively old school, Bobby, when it comes to football. Like, you know, if you've got yeah. a right winger, I, I, I don't want a left-footed right winger. I want a right-footed right winger. No. So it, 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 generally, wingers are fast. If he gets past his man, I want him across. But we seem to have. I mean, it worked all right yesterday. You know, with we, we, we a bit of skill, having to cut back in, then he cut back in again. But you know, is is it is it like the new fashion that that you know the left wingers have got to be right-footed? It just it frustrates me because you know we, we I lots of people watching. You see how some of our forward players or some of our midfielders make a run, and then the ball's got to be stopped, cut. You know, he's got to then get it onto the foot that he can cross with, and it just all of a sudden the play, the actual play, is missed. Uh, listen, I. I... I'll tell, you, I'll tell you where this all comes from. It stems from the foreign, the, foreign, the foreign philosophy of, you know, playing the left or in the right and you've got the Messi off the right-hand side. And if you're going to play that way, 
you must you must be prepared for the striker then if he comes inside to to make run down the side a la Chris Armstrong back in the day because that was his run you know to come down he used to get down the side of the people a lot I think the lad girl can do that I think he's really bright um, I like seeing white players who can cross the ball I, I, I hate seeing I, I hate seeing white players who top back late back I like white players to be positive and play one-twos and get around people. I thought punching was absolutely outstanding yesterday, by the way, even the turn off the, the other side. Would Jason be able to do the same thing on the left-hand side? I'm not sure because I think fullback was shuffling him out wide and I don't think he's got the, the pace and the athleticism to beat someone on the outside. So that suits Jason punching, playing off their little right-hand side pocket and getting shots and, and playing how he does. Um, old school. Uh, old school is still new school for me. Because if you look at your basics, you know, everyone's going about the formations. At the end of the day, when you still see, still see some good teams saying 4-4-2, one whatever they call it. You know, I feel when, when Palace play with these three in midfield, I don't feel uh, sometimes that MacArthur and Ledley actually go and support the front players enough. Because I, I feel that the lad Jedinek is a fantastic player at doing his role, which is the front screen, which you all know. And we probably use him in a different way, whereas other midfield players who play in that role, they're, they're sort of used to play through the midfield and start their play out, whereas I think I think that is outstanding at stopping teams getting into our back four. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it shows in the stats, doesn't it? You know, top the number of interceptions in Europe, I think he was. So, yeah, no, yes. stunning player. Um, yeah, we had a little bit of a diversion there. I'm going to just drag you back to... Um, to the time you sort you left Millwall uh, and went on to Colchester, you did, a, you did a decent number of games there over over four years. And given that you know, obviously, you made it clear you're now involved in coaching. Was this sort of the spell where you started thinking about what to do as your career was sort of coming to an end? Um, it's a strange one. I I've been out injured. I had a fallout with a manager. I've been promised a load of clubs by a load of agents. I come to the end of the season, and I'm out. I'm without a club. What do I do? I end up, I say going on trial, I went down there for one day and they offered me a contract because no disrespect to coaches, I was miles better than that level at the time. But I've been injured. I'm a very humble person. I, I took a massive cut in wages, but I really, really enjoyed my four-year period at Colchester in terms of playing under Phil Parkinson, who I know really well, who's a Bedford manager. He moulded some really good young players who, I, personally, I helped develop in terms of speaking to him the same of what Andy Gray and Mark Bright and, and the other lads did when I was at Palace you know we had a lad Neil Dans who was coming through at the time he was on loan for us from Blackburn um, Johnny Jackson who's now the Dalton captain he came on loan from Tottenham he played with me so we, we, had, we had some really good talented lads but what it, what it showed me was also the value of playing until you can't play no longer Yeah. and I played and I, and I loved playing there the crowd was fantastic in the small stadium and we had some fantastic cup runs and we actually got promoted into the championship uh, in, in, in sort of my last season there, which, which was fantastic as well. Um, it was a really good family club and I've got a lot of good friends actually at the club, including the chairman, Mr. Cowling, who um, is... He, not a lot of people know this, he's Mr. Jobserp, so he, he's got a few quid and he's a West Ham sponsor for a long time, but he's, he's very careful with his money. And he's, he's developing a really good structure at the club in terms of um, taking young players. And I've just, funny enough, read that he's just taken Alex Winter, which is quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Alex so, um, was, you know, yeah, hugely highly rated uh, uh, at 16 or so and had a bit of a hard time at late. But yeah, it's good that he's gone to a, gone to a decent club. 
you um yeah you went on you went to like via Gravesend but you went to Bromley in the end and you did sort of a bit of player coaching there before it said you retired when you the club was put up for sale that that I take it that's a that's a hard decision to have to make um I'll tell you what happened I got a phone call from the beloved Mr Goldberg oh, who yeah. <laughs> as we know from our palace times you know came and came or came in with his shed load of man at a time and tried to reinvent the wheel at the club he's a great bloke I mean, a fantastic bloke, Mark, in terms yeah, he of um, his, his idea and what, what he wanted to do. He sold the club to me. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I wasn't going to play football. I was going to go and do my coaching. And um, I'm involved. I'm the director of a management company, successful one at the moment in time. We're looking after players. But um, he sold the club to me. And he said, I want to help do the coaching and play. So we, we started the season in the Ryman League, which was as he was. Probably we were a struggling club at the time. We um, we brought a couple of players in. <laughs> Obviously, Simon was born. I brought him in. Um, we had a lad who was at Reading now, Gareth McCleary, who yep. we sold to Nottingham Forest. And another lad who I represent now still was a lad called Sammy Wood, who played for Wickham. We sold him to Brentford. Sold to Brentford. You used to play for Cray uh, Wanderers, Sam Wood, left back. Yeah, that's the lad. He's quality. Outstanding, outstanding talent. That year, we sort of, everyone talks about Louis Rangel. Mark Goldberg says to me, we're going to play three at the back. We're playing three five two. Yeah, it's unbelievable. This is four, five, five years ago. Three five two. I played sweeper. Simon Osborne played um, in the old role. And then we had, we had some players. We had some really good players to the level. The budget dictates to everything, as we know in football. And we had, we had a big budget. But we had a philosophy. Murray Jones, who was an ex-Palace coach down there. Um, he was one of our coaches. Good lad. We, we were unbelievable. And we, we actually beat AFC Wimbledon in the playoffs. And we went up that year. We beat Billericay. Went up Conference South. Then the money got changed. And then a lot has gone on at Bromley. And, I, and I've got a lot of time from Mr Goldberg and Jerry Dolk, who's the chairman. Because they're driving this club forward. And I hope that they get up this year. But there's now a little bit of a fry in the ointment. The mighty F Street, who I've also played for, have just come with a shed load of money. And I don't know if you know, they've just signed Danny Kidwell, the Gillingham striker, oh, yeah. and a couple of other league players. <laughs> they will go close to winning that league now, which will cause Bromley a little bit of trouble because well, they've got a massive budget. Well, Bromley have, Bromley so have been t- given a, a bigger budget, oh, Bobby. I know Bob, Bromley have just been bought out, haven't they? I mean, I know Jerry Dolk as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah. and he's, I spoke to him the other day and he said that they've got three times the amount of money that he could afford. So, you know, the guy... They have got Jerry, a shed load. They've got, yeah. they've got so a shed load and they've got their 3G pitches out of the back. It, That's it, it. It, it, that, they'll go to the wire. They'll go to the wire. That, yeah, you're right. Uh, uh, the, the one thing I'm going to say to you there, Bromley got some good players. Epsfleet, Epsfleet have actually got players that I believe will be good in the league up. That they, They're actually signing league players. You know, people thought yeah. Dillian are a league one football club. They've just taken Danny Kedwell when he's still got 18 months on his, on his contract, you know, so... For me, that's that's a big signing for that level. Yeah, definitely. Oh, um, you mentioned just you're involved in a sports management company, Bobby uh, Valenti, I believe, and you've got the Valenti yeah, Academy yeah. as well. Just tell us a little bit about both. Um, well, it's kind of strange. I met my the other director of our company. He he got he actually rescued some of my money from um, a critical illness plan, long time plan, which. Uh, I'm not saying a dodgy agent because he still looks after players, but an agent, a certain agent sold me, which, which actually wasn't any help to me at the time because if I broke my leg, I wouldn't get my family wouldn't get any money. But if I had a heart attack, my family would have got money. 
So it was the wrong kind of plan for me. Yeah. You know, all, all of the players that I look after with with other with our company all have injury injury cover because I say to the lads, if you insure your cars, why don't you insure your legs? You know, in the last two years, I've had, we've had three players who have had to give up the game, and you know, they, they've had their injury insurance money, which has been fantastic. But um, it's been interesting doing that side of the job because I did a player recruitment in terms of bringing a player to the company. And every now and again, you have a situation which goes, does a player want to play football or does a player like to play football? And young players nowadays like to play, but they don't understand how hard they've got to work to become a top player. So when you see these programs on Ronaldo and these other boys and you watch them, you're actually thinking, oh dear, these boys love the game. And that's what I think Simon Osborne said when he was on a couple of weeks ago. If you love the game, you'll get something out of it. If you like it, you'll end up being a nearly player. And personally, you know, I, I look at it these days, the business is a great business. It's life-changing in terms of the monetary side of it. But I think some people get lost in themselves. You know, I, yeah. you know it was interesting. I sent Alan Padre a text at 5 to 12 last night. He messaged me back at, at 12 o'clock. And that, that told me that he hasn't forgot himself. Even though he's won the game, he, he's, there's certain people in the game who you know are actually in it for the, in it for the right reason, want to help people, want to develop people. And there's people like Simon Osborne uh, and another ex-Palace player who's become a really close friend of mine, Dean Austin, who should be working in football clubs because they are outstanding coaches, outstanding people, and they've got really good values. And I think that's where Palace are going to have a winner because Pards is that kind of person as well. And ho hopefully, you know, he'll, he'll really infuse the lads at the football club and, and actually keep us up this year. But just going kind of to the other side of it, with my academy, I, I did this for a reason, because there needs to be a pathway for young players who can't get into the system to still be coached by good people and not cavemen who yeah. just want to boss the ball up the field and kick it. There's, you know, I've had an interesting scenario today where... The club I'm, I coach at, Shelton Athletic, we've got 22 teams. And we probably run it too professional, but I'll be honest with you. You know, we've got 3G pitches and this and that. But the one thing, all the kids, we say to them, you've got to work hard every single week. You've got to develop. You've got to play the right way. Because ultimately, I'd rather see a kid who can play football in the right way than to see a big, powerful athlete who can run and kick it. And don't get me wrong, we need, it. We, we need those kind of players in our teams. But this is a big failing in this country where we don't teach the kids the game. So when I mean, your point earlier on when you said about left-backs and, and wingers, Wilfred Zaha's got natural ability. No one can coach that. Yeah. Now the other side of the game is, is the end product, the last thing. Because if he's going to go back to Man United and be a success, he needs to have end product. And I really hope he can develop, I, can hope, I hope he can develop that with age. Um, there are some really good talented players who are not in the system and how they get in the system that's very difficult because what happens is a lot of the pro clubs sign players at a very young age and give them long term deals that means they can lose their hunger very quickly because they think they're safe competition is the best thing for me in terms of um, seeing kids compete with each other work hard you know the grassroots side of it you know, they say under eights, nines and tens is non-competitive. 
but I can tell you now, every single kid wants to win on a, on a, whether it's non-competitive or not. Every parent on the sideline, and in all fairness, some of the parents need to be guided and directed by the FA and by people because that is the other side of it, where, where the grassroots game lets themselves down is that you have cavemen parents shouting out a load of rubbish on the sideline yeah. and the kids lose their focus and also not learning how to conduct themselves in the right way. I do apologise about that rant, but I'm very passionate about <laughs> grassroots <laughs> no. in terms of the yeah. kids. Very passionate. No, we honestly, like yeah, we, do, we, we love rants. Gel's great at them as well. So, no, honestly, that was, I mean, there's music to my ears. It's, it's an opinion I've held myself, like, just looking at you, football. And, you know, when it, it always comes up when the national team comes into debate and why we haven't got technical players. And it's because of this attitude towards youth football that winning's the most important thing first. You don't coach technique. And, you know, people are playing, you know, kids are playing 11 aside at probably too young an age and all that sort of stuff. So, honestly, it was great to hear. And I, and I know everyone's enjoying it because they, we're getting loads of messages that they are. Um, I've got, got some listener contact that I do want to ask you about. Charlie Thornley asks, yeah. have you got any youngsters coming through at Shelton here? There's a good left back. Then at the end of his message, it's just him singing the Bobby Bowery <laughs> chant continuously. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. We have actually got a few good left backs, fun enough. We've got we've got some good players. But in, in our academy, we've got some good boys in our academy, you know, I've been lucky with my contacts. We've been down to Brighton, we play Brighton and Arsenal with league centres, we played AFC Wimbledon, we've got some games coming up against um Gillingham, Bristol City and what I'm trying to do is create an environment where these kids who might never get a chance go and play against professional football clubs and touch wood at the moment we've been outstanding against some of these teams in terms of our football. And my thing is, I want to create a pathway where, in an ideal world, you know, I took some boys to Palace um, on the 30th of December. We had an in-house tournament there. And I like what's going on at the football club. Um, I'd like to create synergy with the club because I'd rather give my boys to the local team. But I've, I've, I've got to be brutally honest with you. The likes of Brentford, Chelsea, Fulham, they're taking more kids from South London than Palace and Millwall at the moment. Oh, really? So that tells you an awful lot in terms of the budget and what happens where people think their kids should go. I mean, if, if I've got a 16-year-old son. I've been so lucky. I've been, I've, you know, my family have been able to afford to send him to Whitgift School. Yeah. Coached by Steve Kember. Great yeah. person. Uh, Colin Pates. And in the first year in their school team, they won the National School Championship. And they went out to represent England in South Africa. I went to South Africa to watch him play. Mm-hmm. And it's been fantastic, that side of it. But that, that's very few and far between in terms of play, um, schools. Schools is another key. Schools don't tick the box what I think they need to, which is develop the kids in the right way. Because it's almost like unpolitically where, where you, have to, you have to do it right by the kids. The kids these days now, the street kids for me, are the ones with the, are the talent pool. The kids who are in the system early almost lose that sense of social skills and playing with their mates because it's, it's a job. At 13, 14, you're looking over your shoulder. Who's coming in that building next to take your place? You should be worrying about that when you're 18, 19, 20. Exactly. I mean, guys, I'm, I'm not sure if you know about the stat, but there's a quite a couple of really clearing stats that boys between the age of sort of 16 to 18, 92% of those don't make it. And then, after your first contract, I think it might be 92 to 96%, don't go past their first contract. That's a very, that's a large number of boys. I mean, off the record, if, if you, I think if you had a look at your stats, because you guys are fantastic, 
Look how many boys who've been released by Palace in the last 10 years. Tell me if they're actually playing in first teams or playing games for someone else. You'd be quite surprised. Yeah, there's a lot There's a lot of names I can remember that were, were tipped to, to great things that simply aren't even in football anymore. It's, um, it is, it is amazing. Yeah, to see, it's... Isn't it? Yeah, it's um, you know, it, it's you know, on the other side, it's nice when you, you know, you the Leon McKenzie, you know, he found a new career doing his boxing, and then we, yeah. they went to the boxing of course, the boys, you know, fantastic that someone's been able to to re to reinvent himself and do something else. You know, there's a lot of guys who are trying to do different things. I mean, I love coaching, and I love doing my job, and uh, you know, for me, that the FA needs to have a look at themselves and bring more of the football people into the game, and then help literally teach these kids the values of, of, of not just the football, but the life. You know, I listen to a radio show, not as much as I should do, I'll be, I'm, I'm being disrespectful there because I should listen to a little bit more. But it's interesting when you get the other players on who you've had, yeah. and I think they're, they're all gone all their different ways, the pathways and everything, and some of them should actually be in football. Yeah, it'd be nice. Yeah, like you say, it'd be nice to see good, you know, good people that you speak to. It's particularly for us, we're biased because we want people with a palace connection all over. But um, you know, but yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, last little bit for you, mate. Um, when we let you go, really enjoying it so far. Kind of almost don't want to end it, but we should. <laughs> um, no problem. Yeah, Cameron Smith got in touch. Said you're the best football coach he's ever had while at the Ian Wright Academy. Have you ever considered coaching pro? I had. I have had a. Numerous conversations with clubs. The one thing, I, reason why I don't, I'm a firm believer in. I aim very high. Whether I get there, I'm not sure I will do. But I think if I've got a group of kids, I don't want just want to concentrate on the one or two best kids. I want to, I want to make a difference to every kid in some way, shape, or form. Because ultimately, when you go in the system, it's dog eat dog, and there's a pecking order. And if you're in the top three or four players you're going to get looked after better than the eight or nine. And that's why the system fails a lot of these kids. Because, you know, we've got six, seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds who are in a palace, Chelsea now. I can't tell a parent it's wrong or right to go in at that time because I don't think that's, that's my right to say that, to stop yeah. a kid having a chance to play in a professional environment. But I know how hard it was for me to get into a professional environment. I was very lucky. I, you know, I played 15 years and... I almost feel that football, I owe, I, football doesn't owe me anything. I, I almost owe football for me personally because the time I, I was in the game, I got to know a lot of great people, great personalities. And the one thing that, that that's missing from these, this era of players is their, their humility. Things like even just down to the supporters, signing autographs, yeah. doing the right things, charity things. I think some of them forget themselves massively and my era, I thought that was massively, massively so. You know, if there's a children's visit or hospital visit, we were there on mass because you're trying to make a difference to other people's lives as well. Definitely. Uh, you, you're absolutely right. And you mentioned signatures in there, just reminded me that uh, Mick North sent an email in earlier on. He's after your signature on something. So I'll, uh, I'll forward you that email, apparently. So just no, to end. No problem at all. Just, just to end with. Um, I suppose we'll, we'll go back to what you've mentioned it a couple of times. You know Alan, Alan Pardew uh, from your time at Palace. and you know, you, You've mentioned that you're hopeful that they'll stay up. That's the big question. Will we stay up? Well, I'm going on yesterday's performance. If you, Tottenham <laughs> beat Chelsea 5-3, Palace go and roll them over 2-1. The big thing is the goals. 
as we all know, you know, hey, you know, when I do listen to your show a couple of times, yeah. it, all the fans know it. You know, the budget dictates to how much does a top striker cost. You know, Boney's going to Man City for the 30 million that he's going for, and the, and the lads we're trying to get always interested in Gomez. You know, I, I can't see Swansea giving us Gomez because I think they're going to need him to, for them to keep up in the league. Um, I like to think that the spirit which Alan Pardew touched upon in terms of he felt the last 15, 20 minutes was how Tony Pulis had the boys last year. You know, and this is nothing, by the way, against um, Neil Warnock or the guys there and in on the way because I know him really well. But sometimes players need a fresh impetus. But also, you know, that Alan Pardew's his club. So he's going to be hurting. And I'm not saying the other guys weren't hurting, but you could see yesterday when those goals went in, the passion, what it meant to him. That's going to be a big, big factor in the last, you know, 15, I mean, 20 games we've got. Because there's going to be games where, you know, I've been going away to Burnley next week. I watched Burnley yesterday against QPR on the telly highlights. And, you know, Burnley, Sean Dice is the next teammate of mine. I've done my B licence with him. He's got them playing some good football. And they've got a focal point, which is Danny Ings, who can score goals. Yeah. Yeah, So they're very impressive. I'm very worried about that game. I have to agree. But, yeah. Yeah, I I, I think it'll be a tough game. I think it'll be a tough game. You know, I would say one thing, if Palace can make it four to a Celeste and then be away from home, able to play on the counter-attack, you know, I went to the QPR game and I've got a boom to go, I thought the QPR were there for the taking. Mm-hmm. I really thought they were there for the taking that day. I, I just felt we, we lacked a little bit of belief and devilment in our play and, and I'm hoping that Alan can bring that to, um, to, to all the, the players, the existing players at the club and I'm hoping the chairman can back him by giving him some, some more tools to to, to win games because ultimately drawing games sometimes you're better off winning one than drawing two and losing one you know the, winning a game is a massive factor for us you know yeah. going to that game last night I got through the palace for you me father-in-law me some season ticket holders and I'm thinking Leicester have won a day West Brom have won a day if we'd have lost that game last night you know that would have put us an even more under pressure yeah it would have, would have been brutal absolutely I'm going to have yeah. to let you go Bobby it's been so so no problem um You'll, you'll see it on Twitter. There's been a great reaction uh, to everything that you've said. It's been a real pleasure talking to you, and uh, hopefully we'll do it again I really soon. appreciate your time, and uh, let's, hope, let's hope for a good season, and you're doing a fantastic job, guys. Exactly. Really good job. Cheers. Okay, Cheers, Bobby. Nice one, Bobby. Take Thank care, Thank you mate. very much. Lovely. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Now, <clears throat> that went on a lot longer than we intended, but it, I'm sure you'll agree it was well worth it. What a, <laughs> what what a geezer. What a great bloke. Um, you know, so passionate about his coaching and... and you know, just it just remembers everything. <laughs> what an absolute legend! Um, let's say we'll definitely ask Bobby back um, in in the future and, and sort of pick up on the various different topics. I guess. Oh well, that's um yeah. I'm hopefully you enjoyed listening to that as much as I enjoyed uh, asking the questions and a complete silence from you guys as well. Nearly um, got got a couple of questions from Joe and a sort of noise from Nick, but Albert, you were completely silent throughout the whole thing. That's the lamb. Anyway, he was, it was, you know, insightful. What, a, what an interesting character. Right, and we've look, we've still got loads to do. We knew it was going to be a longer show tonight, and it's going to go on a while. Um, we, so, uh, are we going to have right? an intermission? We are going to have a very short intermission <laughs> now. <laughs> um, Your way so of look, telling us that you need a poo. I mean, sort of. <laughs> no, seriously, um, not. Um, 
that's not even the only interview we've got today. Uh, we've got later on, we're talking to, to Mickey Quinn. Um, and here is a little taster of how the interview went. The Eagles Element. News, views and reviews on Crystal Palace. www.theeagleselement.com Yeah, Chris, just give me five. I've just jumped up the shower. Um, had a little bit of a problem with Hello. the phone signal there. Hopefully Ben is able to yeah, it's over to you, Ben. Hello, Ben. Uh, I can. Hello. Yeah, can, can, you hear me? can you hear me? Oh, dear. oh there we go. Sorry, yeah. yeah Hello. Did, was that me? Was that the signal? Hello. Hello. Okay. Hello. Sorry, was that me? I'm the signal. <laughs> I don't can know. You, can you it's you going all over the place. Hello. I think, I think we're back. Can you hear me? Hello. Yeah, Hello. I think it's your signal, yeah. <laughs> that's gonna so, be quality isn't little, it little taste of what, what uh nah honestly the most part of that interview was very very good uh we recorded a little earlier and that's um that's unfortunately how, how part of it went oh dear anyway um yeah so also next week we're launching a competition to win two tickets to the man united game at the end of the season uh there should be some terms and conditions with that um anyway all you need to do is guess the four voices in this short clip the best outstanding bookstores. I love it. So if you know it, you've got to call us next week when we actually open the lines. But uh, here it is again. The best outstanding bookstores. I love it. <laughs> so that's four different voices and it's the best outstanding bookstores. I love it. Uh, all of the clips are people who've either been on the show or have been Palace staff, past and present. Connection with Palace there. So you can tweet us your answers, but if you want to win, keep them to yourselves and try ringing in next week. Um, if, you don't, if you have or don't need tickets to the match, uh, they will be exchanged for money from the same, for the same value. Mikey's giving away money if you don't need the tickets. Anyway, quite disturbing. Let's get, let's get into the match review. Um, uh, we're gonna, I think we're starting with, uh, with a caller to kick us off. But it doesn't seem to have happened yet. I was hoping it would have done. It's a shame, isn't it? Mm. Well, while we wait, I, I like to play feature. I, I got a real shock yesterday. I opened up a bronze pack, and uh, I got Andy Dorman. <laughs> Did you know he plays for New England Patriots now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd seen that. Yeah, that's uh, crazy, isn't it? Aren't you I mean, a bit old for all that, Nick. Anyway, um, no. We have got Ben Ben Flurry on the line. Ben, let's kick us off with the Spurs review, please, mate. Oh, hi. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Just very briefly. Uh, thought yesterday uh, was fantastic because of um, Pardew's choices in the squad, bringing back Murray and Gale up front uh, and Barry Bannon. And uh, I thought his substitution choices, uh, the timings and the players he picked were fantastic and his motivation and uh, a really good boost um, for yesterday. And I think that we can all look forward to Burnley next week, although it will be difficult. Um, uh, yeah, uh, just, uh, just uh, amazing, yeah. Uh, just to, just to start us off, and then we'll let you go, Ben. What did you? I mean, the first half, Alan Pardew was a little critical of the team, and obviously, um, but you know, not in any major way because we held held firm against Spurs. You know, it was nil nil at half time. Uh, what do you think the difference was between first and second half? Um, uh, it may it may possibly just have been the attacking because we were after I think before they uh, Harry Kane scored. I think we tried different sort of type of uh, attacking modes about getting the ball in and um, trying to trying to score because that's obviously what we've been talking we've been discussing about and um, planning about you know we need to score goals in order to get three points and I think there was some sort of attacking elements but then of course once they scored um, you know it brought us down but yeah Pardew managed to keep them motivated up and 
very quickly because you mentioned the first half um, punching that yeah he did deserve man of the match but to my surprise and as in a good way I saw that um, in the first half Martin Kelly uh, for me was man of the match um, at left back because although he was he's always been uh, he's said that he's more suited in centre back I actually thought at left back he was fantastic at tackling and um, you know going forward. I think I think that's a it's a good observation. There's a few things in there, Ben. All right. Well, thank you very much for your call, and we're uh, we're going to take on your points and and move our review on. Thank you very much, mate. All right. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. So if I if I start, I mean, obviously, Albert, you've not really said much, or you, Nick, or indeed you, Joe. It's been mainly me and Bobby Barry so far. Um, but let's, I mean, let's let's start at the obvious place. Um, Ben sort of mentioned the Pardew's influence on on changing the first half uh, performance to what we saw in the second half. But, I mean, first and foremost, he got a great welcome from the fans, didn't he? Someone. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> yes, he, he got a very good, very good um, reception, I thought, and, and quite deserved. I mean, we, we go back to Dover last week. What was it, 13 seconds before his name was chanted? Yeah, How long did Pulis have to wait? A long, long time. And, you know, with hindsight, I'm glad. Uh, <laughs> But no, I just thought, I just thought it was really really nice. I mean, you could see him smiling and you know smiling at the end as well. But I, the the first, the biggest impact I think that he had straight away was well, I thought it was a change in formation. I, I saw the the team line up four one four one. You had you know the very much Joe Ledley sitting sitting in the back, uh, screen in the back four, and and yeah, then the, I think that just gave us that little bit more solidity. But a bit surprised to see Gale on the left wing. What did you reckon, Albert? Yeah, I'm not sure about Gale on the left. I, I, you know, I'll give Pardew a, a chance. Obviously, it's his first game. He's going to implement some new ideas, whatever. Um, everyone obviously thought it was going to be Gale and Murray up top, which obviously wasn't the case. Um, I didn't think it. I, I thought well, I had a few issues with the first half and various players playing where and whatnot. But um, as for Gale, you know, he, he grew into the game, but I think he was a bit lost first mm. half, to be honest. Yeah, put it, you know, put in a uh, one sort of good cross, and yeah, it was a. It was, I thought it was an. In, I thought it was a very interesting first half, and I was quite surprised to see Pardew sort of bemoan it, really, because I suppose we're probably used to how you know you look at Spurs and the run that they've been on, and we're kind of used to saying that keeping them nil nil at half time is a is a good result. And I suppose it it shows you where the mentality has to change that we do have to go and and take on these teams, Nick. Yeah, but I was just interesting that um, Bannon started, and I didn't think it was that effective. I, I thought mm. he was going to be a lot, lot better than he was. But Lyons in the chat room, wholeradio.net slash chat, uh, disagrees. He said Bannon will work against the right team. Spurs are a big physical side, and Bannon had to drop too deep to pick up the ball as a result. But I haven't said that. Some of the balls he put in were excellent. Yeah, and I was a bit worried about, about that once, once the switch was made at half-time. Yeah, um, we'll come on to that. Now, now go on, Albert. You you want to go straight in on Bannon here? Cool. I didn't think he worked hard enough off the ball for me yesterday. I think I thought he looked lost. The game seemed to be going past him, and at times he was looking around, you know, unaware of where he should be standing, let alone who to tackle. Um, yeah, I'll give him credit. There was you know there was good passes and some good balls. The the ball over the top for Gale, you know, was a peach. But I just thought without the ball, and bearing in mind we're a team where we know we're not going to have the ball for, you know anywhere near 60-70% of the game I, I, I thought his work rate off the ball was poor I think I think the possession stats yesterday show that, that that's on its way to changing but um, Joe your <laughs> view on Bannon yeah and I thought he'd done alright yesterday I, I, like I said I, I, what Chris, uh, Nick just said was 
you know, he did have to come back um, a bit deeper to get the ball. But but the thing is, he looked to be one of the one of the very few players on the pitch that that when he had the ball at his feet, he, he actually looked up and he still had the ball. He wasn't, you know, trying to play hoof ball. He, he's trying to be creative. Um, and obviously, you know, with MacArthur running around like a lunatic and just and 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 trying to well, not trying to, but taking the place of of Jedneck and, and roughing and and he really, really was. Having a battle in the, in the, in the centre with with because the, they are a big side Spurs. Yeah, I thought he, I thought he was immense, but he, he let Bannon be creative, and that's and that's what we, we've been saying that for ages. You know, we need someone alongside Jedinak to be creative, and now Jedinak's not here. Bannon was taking his place, and and Bob, uh, sorry, MacArthur was taking his place, and and I just thought it gave him a chance to to be creative. We don't want him running around. It's going to bounce off players like Chadley and you know they're big guys. Yeah. I, I just thought he did. He was I letting players run across him. Yeah, but but the thing is, it, it's, you don't know half of what they get told, do you? Like, so I, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm I pretty didn't... sure he wasn't told to stand there looking like a like a confused chicken. Well, yeah, but the thing is, you could say that in the first half there were we had two or three, four players that 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 were doing that. You know, they weren't. And, and again, I know we want to talk about punching probably later on, but you know, a punch. If, if you're saying that, I, I, I don't agree with you, but I, I mean, if if you're saying that you were to people watching him and then he didn't play that well, you know, he, he wasn't. He was being a bit, I don't know, say lazy, but you know, there was there was a few things that, that the few players that were off, and and you could see that he, in the second half was, you know, the change in in the, in the uh, in. That fifteen minutes was unbelievable. What what I thought was um, sort of trying to read between the lines of what Pardew talked about in terms of the substitution, describing um, both Zaha but importantly um, Adlan Gadiora as um, Mavericks as some, you know. And I think in a way, what he felt that Bannon almost had the shackles on a bit, but was kind of reluctant to take risks. And and I suppose probably was dropping back a little bit too deep. There was one time he dropped back and uh, and from almost from in line with the back four, he played. In- Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Gale, um, and, and that, was, that was the one where Gale got a push in the back, um, right on the edge of the penalty area, and, and nothing was given there. Did you, what did you think of that challenge, uh, Nick? That was a definite push, wasn't it? I'm sure we'll come on to the ref later, but it was it was one of several things the ref missed, I thought. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it seemed to go down a little easy on it, but but you know, it's a, he got a, he got a show. It'd have been the, the push. It'd have been the other way, mate. Sold he's massive, that fuzzy, I'd That's true. Yeah, he's huge. Yeah. That's Fraser Campbell found out in the second half. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that made me laugh for quite some time when I saw that back. I saw. Sort of saw the melee from the uh, from the other way, but didn't really see what happened. But yeah, see him uh, give a little shove to Fraser was quite funny. But um, I don't know. I I just thought yeah. I mean I don't. I think a lot of people, probably us included, were calling for Bannon to be 
given a chance and I was happy it, it, you know he deserved it he was man of the match against Dover or, you know okay it's only Dover but you know he he played some fantastic passes in that game and really looked to move us on and be progressive and but he also did that thing in in that game where he dropped deep to to come and collect the ball. And there's nothing wrong with doing that because he's he's his linking play, and I assume it's an instruction to a point as well to to make sure he links play. But um, I just felt uh, I felt he it was it was really was it must be physicality really because you look at the difference that Gadiora made. It was just it was just just got a, you know it's just a bigger unit, isn't it? You know what I mean? He um, he took more risks as well, but he got a good instruction from from the manager on that. As did Wilf Zaha, which will I'll definitely come back to Zaha a bit later on. But obviously, the first chance in the game went to uh, Christian Eriksen. I couldn't honestly believe, and I still watch it, watching it back, and I still can't believe he actually missed that, Albert. Yeah, I'm I'm right behind that goal. Uh, I was head in my hands the moment it fell to him and then all of a sudden I looked up and it's, it's coming off the advertising hoardings um, look, looking back at it on match of the day and the replays whatever it seemed you know it does come to him quick and it's almost behind him so however you know he's you can argue he's one of Spurs technically you know more, more gifted players so I, you know we, we got away with that one but mm. we, we, we really did get on the balance of, on the balance of play we didn't deserve for that to go in the net and you know there was all the other incidents in the first half, the Chadley dive, you know, Danny Rose, lucky to be on the pitch for, you know, a couple of challenges. You know, I think it was, I think it was Danny Murphy yesterday that said, um, you know, we were, we were lucky yesterday. You know, we got, we got lucky with the big decisions. However, we, we deserved that luck in those big decisions. He wasn't saying, yeah. we, you know, we got something we didn't deserve. He's saying, you know, we got, you know, the, the right calls were made and, you know, and, you know, half of everything's lucky in football yeah. by all it's, accounts and we've well overdue some. Exactly, it's funny, yeah, we were bemoaning the fact that if we had all the luck due to us, we'd probably end up winning the league, but um, you know, we, we, did, we did get a fairly, um, fairly hefty slice of luck yesterday, but to, well, to a point, but like you say, Albert, we did, I think we earned it. Um, Nick, did you have a point you wanted to make before we move uh, on? Well, I, I, I think the ref wasn't that brilliant, um, but he wasn't that brilliant for both sides. It, 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 Spurs could have had that, that Kane thing in the second half, if he hadn't have gone down like a like a sack of potatoes. I think that penalty would have been given. However, why why didn't the guy get booked in the first first ten minutes? Because it, it was right sort of in front of me. Chadley it was right in front it, it, of me. It wasn't Chadley. Was it, it was he, the other one. He, he, no, it was Chadley that threw himself yeah. down in our area. Yeah. But he, he actually jumped about five foot in the air before he was landed. There were people in front of me holding scorecards up. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's that, yeah it's it was awful. It was awful. And it's either a penalty. Or a dive, and he's got to give a yellow card. Yellow card. It's not a penalty. He's got to give a yellow card. But then he should have booked Kane as well, because if he if he thinks it isn't a penalty, if he thinks it isn't a foul, then it's a dive. Well, go I, on, I, I don't get it. It's black and white, isn't it? It's one. Yeah. It's a fifty-fifty decision. Since well, I, I'll give you a view on that in a second. But since we're talking about it, what you know, it it was. But there's lots of people saying it was more of a penalty than the one that was given for us. We'll come to that. But when you actually well, look at it, when you yeah, I think so as well. When you actually look at it. There is Ledley does step across him, but there's been this kind of assumption that somehow he's actually made contact with him with when he, with his standing foot, and he actually hasn't because Kane's actually flicked his legs out, but underneath him before Gerard the does that. Made. You know when they go down oh. and they spray their legs like a little soldier, toy soldier. Yeah, yeah. Gerard always did that, and that's exactly what they're doing nowadays. Just watch the players; that's what they do as they're about to go over, or as in the thing of going over, they open their legs so you get the contact. Yeah, Albert? there was a, there was an incident in the second half. I don't know if it was before or after the penalty, but that's irrelevant. Uh, I think it was I think it was punching, chasing the ball 
And I, do you know what? It would have been first off actually punching and chasing the ball up the line, and the ball's probably going to trickle out for a, a, a Spurs throw in. And I, I, I think it's Fazio or one of the other Spurs bastards um, <laughs> intentionally, inten- you know, not playing the ball intentionally leans across to block Punchin's path to the ball. Essentially, meaning Punchin runs into the back of him and falls over, and the ball goes. You know, he's protecting the ball. Yeah. Um, okay. That's a foul, in my opinion. And that's yeah. exactly it's, exa- it's the exact same type of contact that Ledley and Kane had in the box for the Kane incident. Yet, but you know, if it's in the area, everyone goes fucking mad for it. When it's just protecting the ball to let the ball run out for a throw in, you know, no one no one bats an eyelid. So I think, you know, no way was that that Kane incident a penalty. And you know, yeah. what, what's mad is you've got Spurs fans saying that there's no there's no way in hell that the Ledley penalty was. You know, should have been given. Yet um, the Harry Kane one is a stonewall penalty. Which is yeah. been outrageous. Yeah. Well, I really enjoyed reading the Spurs forums when I got home. From the oh game. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> it was. I just. I just had my thing backed up. It wasn't Chadley. It was Chambouli. That's um, who it was. Stambouli definitely. is his actual name. Sounds like yeah. a cake. Yeah, it does sound like a cake. I'll have a slice of the Stambouli, please. <laughs> <laughs> like an Italian cake of some sort. Yeah. Okay. All right. We'll go with that. Um, yeah, well, let, let's come back to the uh, the Ledley penalty because I've got quite a lot I want to say on it. But just very, very quickly, um, in the first half, uh, Glenn Murray got a chance. Um, uh, I mean, he should score that, shouldn't he? Let's face it. He should it's absolutely score it. It's a worldie. It's a, the game's, he's a worldie. He's a, they say he's one of the best goalkeepers in the world, Larissa. He has, he has a mare or he's brilliant. That's the way that my Spurs mates see it. He's absolutely mm-hmm. rubbish or, or he's fantastic. I thought he played all right yesterday. It was a great save. No, no. Again, it's not about his performance, but um, I don't know. He he did the he did he tried to put it through uh, Larice's legs, didn't he? That's what he tried to do. He tried to sort mm. of pass it under under his legs, and it caught actually caught is the back of you know his well his his rear leg <laughs> his rear leg the sh- the shin of his back leg. Post his left or right leg. <laughs> yeah, how many legs has he got? Loads. <laughs> Three. But, <laughs> long in the shower. Oh dear. I but anyway. Real egg. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Nick. Yeah, he probably caught um, one of them as well. Yeah. <laughs> but it made it... Yeah. Oh, Nick, I'm going to so sack you soon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sack. Everybody, that was sack. That was sack, yeah. Just to clarify. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I sort of... I don't know. I just think... I, th- I think he really... I mean, if that game ends with us losing, I think you look back to that moment and you, and you worry. But... Going back to what you just said, Joe, um, his overall performance, in, in, you know, in general, was was actually pretty good, wasn't it? I mean, he, you know, he certainly adds a threat in the air that people have got to be aware of. And at the moment, you know, no, headers aren't really sort of landing. Well, certainly in that game weren't really sort of threatening the goal in any way. And um, if anything, they seem to end up on MacArthur's head more than Murray's. But I think in a general performance, it was pretty good. But I don't know. I couldn't help but feeling that when we made the changes and, and we ended up with Dwight Gale going through the middle and Wilf Saha on the left, we looked a lot more dangerous. But I think that was because of the period of the game it was. And I think Murray, Murray from the start seems a, seems a very good option for us at the moment in, you know, in lieu of anything else happening. Um, so I've got to give credit where it's due. Go on, Nick. I think um, he should have played in the hole with Gale in front. I don't know what the other positioning would be, but if he's getting flick-ons, there was nobody running onto the flick-ons. He- Murray's brilliant at, at winning the ball in the centre spot from a from a long clearance, and there's just nobody to pass it through. But having he said that, to play he, off his shoulder. Yeah, 
I, th- I think that's just the system. We, I mean, obviously, Pardew has changed it, and you've got that. You've got that bank of four in behind Murray now that are slightly further up because of the one sitting in behind. So what it what it takes is for the central players or the you know or the wide players to just to, just to move inside and become a second striker. And he needs one of them to do it. But and that's what saw, MacArthur does. MacArthur yeah, makes exactly. late runs, doesn't he? That's what he did twice yeah. yesterday. Bang on, Joe. Exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, MacArthur's the one who's usually doing it now. Um, but you also saw because by picking Gale and by picking Punchin on the, in those wide areas, particularly Gale. Gale's obviously naturally a striker. So the idea of getting him some space out wide that he and he, for him to drift inside that I mean that worked brilliantly. And and Punchin from the other wing cuts inside all the time. So it actually adds. Yeah, actually, you know, you you get people close to Murray, and I think the more that they play that system, and the more Glenn Murray plays and, and gets used to the people around him, you know, the better he'll be. But I mean, realistically, I mean, will Maran Shamak came in, come in and, and play that? I don't think we're going to see the one in behind the the main striker role anymore. I think we're actually going to, and I, I kind of hope we do change the system to what it keep keep the system as we've got now, the four one four one, because we were too predictable. I felt. Um, of late, I think that's where we've been struggling. Oh, I said a lot there. I'm confused. Where am I? Uh, so, Gediora, yeah. Oh, no, go on. Let's just go Gediora first because we talked about Bannon and and we let's talk about his replacement. You know, sent on loan to um, to Watford, uh, and by the end of his spell there, you know, had got his match fitness, had banged in a couple of really great goals, um, and when he came on, um, you know, in the second half yesterday, he was superb, wasn't he? Absolutely superb, in my view. Go on, let's have some opinions, Nick. It was a game changer, I thought. Absolute game changer. And I know that Tottenham scored soon after the start of the first half, but we were actually looking the better team before then. Um, somebody in the chat room earlier, I don't know who it was, on the whole radio.net slash chat, said that um, he thinks that part you remembered uh, Pep playing well for us when we played Newcastle in the League Cup, and perhaps that influenced his decision yeah. on putting him on. Not a bad shout, not a bad shout at all, actually, yeah. Uh, I mean, Joe, what did you make of him in terms of what he brought that was different to, to what Bannon was doing? Uh, a bit more power. A, a bit more power. I mean, it, he, he just looked, I mean, he looked, like, strong and really quick. Yeah. I mean, I, I was mm. amazed. I was amazed. I mean, he, he just, I don't know, he just upped his game. Well, yeah, he worked he just, harder. He worked harder he did. Than Bannon as well. He did, but, he, but the thing is, well, we got subs. He actually looked really good. <laughs> Does that sound bizarre? But he actually did look really good. And like you say, like Nick, you said, he's a game changer without a doubt. Mm. Because and I he's, thought he's, he, he's he was able to carry the ball more than Bannon. And, but he wants yeah. his he wants his to get forward though, didn't he? As well, that was the thing. His intent his intent was on going forward. Um, Albert, he and we was, took the game to them as a result. Yeah, Absolutely. exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, Albert, I'll just I'll just on get I mean, I heard it sort of said that he'd maybe not had a fair chance at Palace. Um, you know, we, we've seen him a few times and it was only really injury. We, I mean, we took, we interviewed him on the show last season and, he, and we talked about the fact that really it was only injury that kind of ruined him getting a good run in the side. He's never never got really a look in under Pulis other than a couple of appearances off the bench. But, you know, is there a, is there a case to say that, you know, that finally he can, he's, he's earned the right to have a chance to start some games and to... You know, to actually form a part of our midfield, particularly in Jedinak's absence. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'd say yes in in Jedinak's absence. When, when you know, when we've got Balassi, Jedinak, and you know our full our full deck available, I don't know how strong the case is for putting him in the starting lineup. But you know, he's certainly got a 
an opportunity to give Pardew a, a decision to make. And I, always, I, I mean, I was always a bit confused about what, what he was supposed to do. I think I said on, on the show a few times, in, in my head, he was always a, you know, a, almost like Yedinak, just a blocker, a, in a bit of a powerhouse with not much going forward. Um, but, but based on yesterday, you know, in, in the right setup, he can, like I say, he can carry the ball. He, he had strength to bat, you know, to, to uh, fend off, you know, Spurs midfield, which we've already mentioned are quite sort of tasty in the tackle. Um, that sounds a bit weird. Um, yep, yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> Moving Gloss on. Over, uh, over it, mate. Yep. Yeah, he's, he's, he's fucking great. Yeah, good. All right. You swore again there, just to bring it to your attention. Again, I haven't sworn all show. Right, and you're also making a really <laughs> static sound now. Go and sort yourself out. Well, not like that. Just go and um, yeah, do something. <laughs> I'm, I'm, we're on, on the subject of Pep, and we've, we've got a new manager, we've got the transfer window coming up. Is it that they've, they've got a point to prove? Who was that bloke who played for us? Was it Marco Royce? who was absolutely superb for us when, when he played the first couple of games trying to get a contract. The moment he got the contract, he turned to turned to crap. Marco Reich, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right, not Royce. That, if, that, if, if only it was Royce. If only it was Royce, yeah. yeah. I'd, uh, I'd take that. Um, just to pick up on what we were talking about, um, Colin Squires has said he really likes Bannon, but Gediora was superb in the second half, and that's the general sort of consensus, I think, on that. Also noticed a tweet from uh, Wayne, Wayne Dizzy on the... Uh, so to say, and according to one Spurs fan, our poor floodlights didn't help them yesterday. <laughs> Hashtag <touching laughs> um, Yeah, lovely. That's, I mean, it's brilliant. It is brilliant to, um, yeah, to uh, to look through there for them. The, the fighting cock is the what? one I would recommend. Drag them out of their comfort zone, you mean? Yeah, well, exactly. I don't think there's anything wrong with the floodlights, was there? Anyway. There's nothing wrong uh, with our floodlights, otherwise, no. they, otherwise they, we'd get told to change them. Yeah. Similarly. Um, all right, look, uh, let's let's uh, let's talk about Harry Kane and his his goal. I mean, we have to do it, really. He's he's getting a lot of press at the moment. He's got eighteen goals this season, which is actually an incredible amount. I had no idea well, it was that their own, didn't he? Saw it. Yep, yeah. The Arsenal <laughs> former Arsenal player <laughs> Harry Kane. Um, yeah, look, you know they're very obviously very proud of him. Uh, it was, I think, it was probably I would I would say it was a little bit of poor defending not to stop Chadley uh, before he knocked the ball to one side, but. It does, you didn't think he was going to actually score there, did you, really? And it was an excellent finish. And I was pretty... I mean, I, we saw him in the nil-nil game, and I didn't really think um, he had a particularly good game against us at White Hart Lane. But I, I, I was much more impressed this time round. What did you reckon, Joe? Yeah, done all right. I mean, I was... Look, uh, you know, his goal, I was looking straight down at. Um, but I, I don't think anyone was... Well, it was expecting him to shoot. That's the that's the, the exuberance of, of a new player when he comes in who just... Looks like he wants to play football for fun. I mean, he's big, he's strong, he's he's quick, and and he is ultimately accurate as his stats are showing. Um, he's got a massive future, but I mean, how many how many, uh, how many chances did he have yesterday? Um, not many, but he, he did he did what he had to do. Um, I, I, I know that. I, yeah, and, and I know that. Um, you know, um, Warner uh, said in an interview that he tried two or three times at the beginning of the season to get him on loan. You can pretty much understand why. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Uh, but he has, I mean, he's certainly, he's kicked on in, in a huge way. He really has. And uh, I don't know Nick's put a comment there from Booted Eagle in the chat room. Uh, it's a great skill to take the ball back and shoot. I mean, yeah, it was, it's under his feet. It was very, very good the way he did it. And, he, you know, he's hit the side netting when he's, when he's drilled it in. Very, very impressive finish. And like I say, the effort and work rate in general, I thought was really good from him. Um, he, he sort of head and shoulders above most of the other players on the pitch for Spurs anyway. But um, it, was, it wasn't it was enough for them and not too 
not too long after that, let's let's get into the debate of the penalty. Um, I'll give you my view on it, and and then um, hopefully you'll all agree and we can move on. Um, I don't really understand why there's quite so much debate because once you've seen it four times, you know, once you once you've seen all the different camera angles, I I can't understand anyone saying that Stambouli touches the ball at all because it's only from one angle that he's the the his foot seems to swing through the angle of the ball. But Joe Ledley's got there first. He's got a toe on it first. And the, the direction of the ball follows Joe Ledley's toe of it. Um, mm. And the only, the only problem I have slightly with it is Ledley does start to fall before the contact is made at the feet. And I say at the feet because I'm not too sure where, whether the body and the legs collide in a, sort of a different, in a different position. It's quite hard to see that. But he does start to fall. His legs do go from underneath him before the contact is made. But the back legs... His back legs again. It's not an animal. Why do I keep saying back legs? <laughs> his hind legs. His hind, his hind legs. legs. I've, got, I've got a mental problem at the moment. I really have. But uh, anyway, his legs, those things, the thing with feet on the end of them, um, they do get clipped by the, by the challenge, and it's a stupid challenge. And it's a penalty. There you go. I, that is my I think guess. the front legs are actually the arms, Chris. <laughs> they, that's, they are. They call them arms, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you've got to remember that it's... Um, it's real time, isn't it, with the ref? And, and you can go over all the replays you want, but it's, it's how it seems. And, and from where I was sitting, it looks a pen. Yeah, I think so, yeah. And, and obviously the crowd went up. And, the, and the, the important thing is the referee took a moment over it, thought about it, and then gave it. And, and, and what you know, it was... You're calling it a dive, gel. Go on. Gel? Gel's muted his microphone. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> it was a dive for me, but I thought the referee gave us that because um, he should have given us a penalty for the handball a little while before evens itself out. Well, sort of, because Sarah should have. That was outside the area. Yeah, it was actually. It was yeah. inside the area. It was across. The, the car was walk outside. Oh no, you mean yeah. the other one? Do you mean the other no. one? No, yeah, no, 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 no. There was there, there was two. There was two. Not one in the foot. You're talking about. I'm talking about the second half. But anyway, it, no. it, it's completely oh, relevant. We've 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 had. Uh, <laughs> um, We've we've had our fair share of, of non penalties this year, so um, you know if everyone else is diving, I don't see why we shouldn't be doing that's it as well. But if you, there's a there's a specific camera angle, <coughs> you know, what it was, what is there, seventeen different camera angles in the grounds, and I think five of them were shown around the area, yeah. um, and one of them quite clearly showed that he was it was a mile away from it. You can tell by the players' reactions. You can tell by whoever it was, Stambouli or uh, Chadley, whoever it was supposed to have kicked him. You can see by his face. So if, if it's a penalty, he just most of them just they don't say anything. They just go like that. They're old, they're red, and they're in their hands. But it was the yeah. way that he, he specifically just... But anyway, I, I don't care. It's, it's interesting, though, that you it, say... It was a penalty um, that wasn't. It's, it, it depends on angles. I'm, I'm, you're in the Arthur, I'm in the main stand. And that. We're, we're, we're literally opposite each other, aren't we, Joe and uh, Selhurst? And, and I thought it was, you thought it wasn't. So it no, 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 depends no, no, on the I angle. No, I didn't say that. I, I I couldn't see. For me, it was a penalty all day long. I was off my all seat right. in stages because of my knees. Mm. But I mean, <laughs> but I I was. Um, Is that your front um, knees or your back knees? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, <laughs> your front knees or your elbows. <laughs> yeah, but, um, it's, it's clarified. No, it, yeah. it was the angle on the, the the angle that I saw when I I watched it on whatever the, the game of the days and you know on on Sky. They showed about five different angles of it, and one of them quite clearly shows it wasn't a penalty in a million years. So, but it, it's, it's irrelevant, you know. I, I scream for a penalty. Everyone else screamed for a penalty. We got it, I, you know. And uh, on, on the penalty, it was uh, Dwight Gale who, who took it. 
Um, actually, I'll just pick up on something John Nightingale said on Twitter. I was going to say it, and then I forgot. Um, Pardew said that we're too honest. Um, he's used the hashtag that I refuse to acknowledge. Hashtag gel knows. How did I know that was going to happen? I hate I you so that much, Mikey. Mm, anyway, so... Fuck's <laughs> sake. Uh, I swore. Um, Pard- yeah, so Pardew did call us too honest, and maybe that's what he was kind of hinting at, um, you know, and just, just, just like you say, to level the playing field if everyone else is doing it, you kind of almost think this might as well join in. Uh, Gail to the penalty. Focus, because Klinsman started it all. Mm. You know, I, just, um, I don't care. We, we right. just... Go on, Nick. <laughs> yeah, very quickly, um, my, my, ten-year-old, my 10-year-old son said... We wouldn't have got that penalty if Warnock was still a manager. Yeah, I thought about that, sure. but then I thought about plenty of other things that happened, like the refusal to book any Spurs players, but definitely to book all the Palace What's players. What's your the son's name, Nick? William. William knows, hashtag William knows. <laughs> yes. like William it. knows more than gel. Yep. Oh, no, I didn't agree with that. Gel will be furious. Anyway, um, so yeah, Gail took the penalty. I actually, ref- Murray did want it. Um, I would have refused to watch either, to be honest with you. Murray was sort of <laughs> one in two on his penalties, I think, in the end. Um, could have had about 60 goals that season if he'd actually put them all in. But uh, Dwight Gale, I can remember, he, it's not that like he's missed a penalty. It's just that when he took his first penalty for us, it was just it was sort of down the centre and so kind of fortunate that it went in that I absolutely could not watch. Uh, it's the only time I've ever turned away from a penalty like a coward, but I just couldn't watch it. Um Obviously, it went in, and I feel stupid. Jill? Um, just really quickly, Murray was going to take it. And did you see Delaney come down and said to Murray, you're not taking it, Gave and said to Dale, it's a goal, you're taking it. Did you see it? Anyone else see that? I, I read about it afterwards. I didn't see it at the yeah, time. Well, yeah, well, I actually saw it. So, um, But, yeah, I, I'm just looking at Twitter, and there's masses of Jill knows hashtags everywhere. Oh, I'm not liking this at all. It just needs to stop. Someone, mainly Lucy. Lucy has managed to tweet... Joe knows about 400 times there. Thank you for that. I'm honestly going to, there's going to be a feature on this show. There's going to be, I'm going to go and take all the clips of you saying ridiculous rubbish that you spout every week. I'm going to take all of them, line them all up. It's going to be about 45 minutes long, this feature. And after every clip, it's going to go hashtag Joe knows, hashtag Joe knows. Just until I've made my point. I know he was my teammate in the quiz, but he didn't know much that week. He did. He really did. (laughs) Uh, I, I like Joe knows where to park. Park. My, my shoulder's still hurt from lifting yeah. you up, Joe. I know I've got rucksack, mate. Don't worry about that. But the thing is, <laughs> ones I did get, they were the important ones. Because apparently we only won by two points, even though it was about nine we won by. But but you're very clever. You have age on your side. I oh, is very clever, yeah. Can I... Right. Let's not go back to the quiz. I'm still angry about the fact that you <laughs> shouted over it continuously. <laughs> Can we talk anyway. about Jason Punching, please? Yeah. Can I talk about Jason punching? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like First well. 45, I thought he was just the usual punching. I was screaming. I know Albert was screaming. I, and I tweeted, I've got cab fare, and it's for him. And then he came out in the second 45, and then afterwards I tweeted, and I said, that's what I want him to play like. If punching plays like that, like he did in that second 45, he didn't, he just... <sighs> Did he, he it, would, would he be wrong to turn? Yeah, it would, well, he couldn't, but he hasn't. It's been, it's endemic. His last good game for us was, in my opinion, was, was Cardiff last year when he scored the winner. That, for me, that is his best game. The thing is with punching, it's obviously, it's his confidence, it's, it's his mood, it's whether, um, and you can quite clearly see 
that, you know what that reminded me of? That 45 reminded me of when he came to us when he was in Mill, when he played for Millwall. Yeah, yeah. That's it. The last time I bet he played that good in 45 minutes is when he spanked him and he got hat-trick against us. You know, I just, I'm so pleased for him because I am, I, and I'll put my hands up and say that when he's bad, I'm his worst critic. But then I have always said that when he's good, then I will praise him. And I thought he was fantastic. And I personally thought that him and Gediora were the reasons that we won that game yesterday. That um, second half, they were Albert, both very, very good. Albert, I'll give you the, uh, the chance to speak next. And I've got a bit As, as an aside, watching the highlights back, did anybody hear the noise he made when he was celebrating? Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, it was... It was, yeah. It was I, I've got to be honest, I, I shit myself. <laughs> <laughs> Again. <laughs> um, usually, the, when they get the microphones in on players celebrating, they end up making embarrassingly high-pitched noises. I find it was so scary. Yeah, it really was. Camera. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's good. It's good to see him celebrating. It's good to see Punching looking happy. And Lee Bowman's um, putting them uh, in the chat room. That uh, whilst it was all played down while he was here, uh, do we reckon Punching is happy now again that Warnock's gone? I think there's a lot of truth in that personally. Yeah, I don't, he didn't drop him, no. He didn't drop him when he came in, did he? he had every no, no, no. no. I, I, I don't think it was a case of Warnock not rating or liking Jason Punching. I think it's probably the other way around, in all fairness. I don't think Punch, uh, just an observation from body language, I don't personally think that Punching was happy playing under Neil Warnock. I don't think he, I think, in a, you know, picking up on a few comments from players, I don't think. Many of them, well, I don't think many of them. I don't think some of our key players believed in the direction we were going under Neil Warnock, but I certainly think that that there was a noticeable improvement in Punch and, and Alan Pardew. And let's not forget Pardew's first act was to con- was to, to. I was going to use the word "cope" there, Joe, and tribute from you, uh, but yeah, he, got, he yeah, he coated Punchin for his behaviour uh, at the darts, and you know, obviously, rightly so. He, he fined him for that. Yeah. 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 One hundred and eighty. All night. All night. Brilliant. Um, so, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So look, I think, I think, <laughs> I think, um, you know, a bit more of uh, Jason, Jason Punch on that form, and everyone would be happy. Uh, talking of wingers. Zaha came on and played on the left, uh, made Punchin's goal, which honestly, uh, I just haven't celebrated a goal like that in a while. That's, that's, that's not true, Liverpool. But um, it was it was a it was a great moment. I was just feeling very despondent when we were one 0 down, and and the equaliser cheered me up no end, obviously. But the winner was just the icing on the cake, and I screamed myself hoarse. It really really hurt. But um, he, obviously, Wilf made that. It was a great little run. Um, and, and Pardew said the following on Zaha: Wilfred came on and gave me exactly the reaction I was looking for. Uh, I left him out because I wanted to see what his reaction would be like. Uh, this is a boy whose confidence I think really needs to be rekindled. That will do him no harm today. That 20 minutes was electrifying for us both, but more for him, really. So there you go. Uh, Anyone? I, yeah, go on. I, I was um, listening to the, the pre-match Friday, I think, or whenever it was, and I saw an interview with Gary Neville, and he turned around and said about Wolf Zaha, and, and what he said was, that he hasn't kicked on. He, he, when he came to Man United, there were high expectations for him, and he hasn't kicked on. And he should be... But now he's been um, given back to Palace. He should be acting like a Man United player. Like they, these, are, these are almost his words. He said he should be acting like a Man United player, that when he walks around, he should, be, he should know that he is better than the rest of those players, that he should be playing better. And, and, and he hasn't. 
So, you know, it's the expectations at Man United, you can, you can almost see it was almost a hint as if to say, you know, like we gave you a chance, you fluffed it, now get back to where you, you know, maybe back to where you belong. Or you get out there, sort yourself out. Because the thing is, if Wilf doesn't get his act together with us, then I can see him, I can see him just ended up, but to be honest, without West Ham or, or Stoke or something like that. Someone who's prepared to give him, you know, like West Ham will play any, pay anybody eighty thousand quid a week. So if they want him, he'll, <laughs> you know. Um, but if he doesn't, if he doesn't play very well, and, and we don't, uh, we're not successful if we do buy him, um, then I can see him back, back at, you know, back in London at West Ham somewhere like that. I, I think he will, um, will start to see the world of old because I, I think that um, Pardew's going to be good at motivating the players. And, and say the right things to each individual player. I think, well, I don't know, I'm only surmising here, but perhaps Warnock was a let's get the team going as a team talk, but I think Pardew will, will talk to individuals like perhaps Bullis did and, and know the, the psychology of getting them going. And I think it was a masterstroke not to bring on Wilf at the start. I really do. Well, Be a maverick, yeah, change the yeah. game. I, th- I think sometimes, you know, he's certainly the sort of player that, can make a bigger impact off the bench than starting sometimes. You know, unless he's on absolutely top form, it's always going to be the way with, with him, I think. You, you know, it, you give him 20 minutes, and if it doesn't quite work, fine. But if, if it you know if it works like it did against Tottenham, then, then great, and it will help build his confidence. Joe? Motivation's huge, and, and, the, and the thing is, I, I don't know whether, whether Walnut could motivate the players. I mean, the other, the other, on the other side of it, everyone will remember... Um, a palace connection, you know, with with what Pardew's done with a club, and and the other thing as well is, that, you know, he's not as old as Warnock. Um, maybe they they feel uh, you know an affinity to him because of what he's done at Newcastle. But he can turn around and say to the, you know, whereas Warnock, I don't know where, you know, what they would have said in the changing room, but you know, he can, Pardew can turn around and say, I've done that, I've been there, I've played here, I've played there. You know, and and I know what it's like. He can draw an experience, and I don't think if it comes to motivation, I don't think that Warnock. I mean, I, I don't remember Neil Warnock. I mean, I'm nearly fifty, and I don't remember him playing. That's the honest truth. I really can't. I can't remember. So, but everyone, everyone will remember back to 1990. You know, the the, the Liverpool fans. Every everyone. Mm. He, he, he just he, he's known as a player. That's the thing, and it's it's very rare for a manager. Well, a player to become a successful manager, and no matter what way you look at it, you know the four years at keeping Newcastle where they are, a relatively decent sized club with massive crowds, big you know big ground and 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 good players. You know I thought he'd done really well there, and and I think it'll be a more it'll be appreciated down here. Um, but I say I, I I think motivation wise, I think Pardew you can do it, and you can see his his anger and his and 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 his involvement in everything. You know with the goals with the fouls. For us, against us, he he, he play he, he plays it. You know, he, it seems like he kicks in it. It's every ball. I, I, I think he really does have the have the zest for it in our club. Every opposition player. <laughs> there you go. Um, right, just going going back. Sorry, to quickly. The, go on. Quickly, Chris. Sorry, Lee Bowman in the chat room, wholeradio.net slash chat, said that there may be a difference in the fact that Warnock was far too laid back. He said before his career was never on the line because of it. And if it was the case, if I fail, I'll just get on my tractor and retire. I think there's a bit of truth to, to that in the, um, you know, and certainly if you go by the, you know, the, his, his way of operating um, as a manager was quite often to, to leave a lot of the work to the coaching staff, whereas... You know, Alan Pardew, someone who's out there on the training ground. So, it, it, you know, it, it's a different you type see of. Pardew out on the pitch. 
Yeah, exactly. And it's that's the sort of thing we're talking about, really. I suppose that's the difference in the two. But I think reputation comes into it as well. You know, Alan Pardew's been a manager in the Premier League for, you know, a, quite a long time now. And, you know, it's not, it's not exactly like, uh, you know, Warnock's, Warnock's an, you know, an incredibly experienced manager, but never quite did it in the Premier League. So it doesn't command that same degree of respect. Uh, in my view, but I don't know. There's a lot. There's a lot of reasons why it's different. But um, let, let's finish off the chat by um, uh, Ben talked earlier on, right at the start of the the, the match review, when he when he phoned in about uh, he was impressed with Kelly. Um, I thought Kelly was a little uh, shaky in the first half, actually. But um, but Ben Ben had an opposite opinion. But I did think um, he showed some really good work at, at left back. But I thought more importantly, it allowed Joe Ward to be um, you know so much. So much, you know, happier uh, on that right, on that right hand side. You know, he did get forward well, but he was also a more effective defender on the right hand side. Um, do you think that's the way we should go from now on, uh, Joe? Well, it looked good, didn't it? Mm. That's the thing. It, it's, it's where players are comfortable. You're always going to find it. They, you know, if they're comfortable, they're going to play well. So, but um, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm I'm, up for, I'm I'm really happy with the way things look at the moment. The only the only sour thing for me was. Uh, a little jock in the middle getting injured. You know whether he broke his foot or not. I don't know whether the scan is going to show it today, tomorrow. Yeah, that, that's my sort of final uh, player I wanted to pick out. Actually, I wanted to talk a bit about Dan, but I think we can leave that for another week because he's just. He immense. did tweet, didn't he, um, um, this morning that the pain is not as bad as what he thought it was going to be. So yeah, yeah. I mean, let, let's hope it's it's not so bad. But I mean, obviously, if it's a broken foot, you know, you, depending on which bone in the foot it is, it can, you know, it can be three, four weeks, or it can be a couple of months, or if you're Gary Lineker, it can end your career, so, um, yeah, I don't know, it's an odd, it's an odd, it, you know, he played for 20 minutes, you know, with this, with this problem, so, what you really hope is he hasn't done it a real mischief by doing so, but, you wouldn't, you really wouldn't have known, he was, you know, he was limping around every now and then, I'll sort of look up and think he's taken a bit of a, um, you know, a bit of a, a knock, but, you wouldn't really have known it the way he played, would you, and it, he's been absolutely brilliant for us. He really is. Is a Bert Troutman for the twenty first century. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I Whoosh. suppose. Yeah, exactly. Not quite. No, no. I knew, obviously no broken neck, but most people listening won't. If we had a quid for every time Nick mentions Bert Troutman, <laughs> we'll be so well off. Have I mentioned him before? And yeah. about eight thousand times. Yeah. Don't worry about All it, right. mate. Don't worry about it. You're, you're getting on. You're not supposed to. Um, that's best remember it. Uh, very quickly, um, I've got some forward, bleh, forward reviews. Not word. That's not anything. That's, uh, I'm having problems today. I'm ill. Did I mention that? Uh, on Facebook, Josh Rufus called it Soaring Eagles Choking Cockerels, which is a troubling phrase. Uh, Laura Easton's gone for We Are Back. Missing a word there. I don't know. Uh, let's give it an exclamation mark for the fourth word. Sean Diamond, the season starts now. Um, obviously, that was the message from the Homestale Fanatics in their banners at the start. Mikey Anderton, let there be love. Um, and Lawrence Price, sad cockerels cry foul. That is very clever. Well done, Lawrence. Uh, Patrick O'Connor, that guy, Pardew's a maverick manager. Scott Duncan has gone for Al Lul Super Al, just separated into four words. Well done. Um, Tim Green has gone for familiar 45, refreshing 45, indicating the difference between the two halves, I believe. Uh, Simon, CPFC Cantor, has also gone for our season starts now. Carl Mortimer, Pards team's packed punch. Nice. Uh, and Adam Bailey still need a striker. So that was good. Uh, email in from Andy Sparrow, who just wanted to make the point that Spurs were perhaps the most Premier League of Premier League sides, diving, 
<coughs> diving, time wasting, um, uh, arguing, a, an undue sense of entitlement. What an absolute pleasure to beat a team like that. I think the sense of entitlement thing just goes for Spurs in general, doesn't it? But that was mm. very, very, very. I, I agree with that. I always love beating Spurs. I think it's a great, great thing to happen. Um, we do have. We were going to play a little clip from a BBC interview from Steve Parrish, but we don't really have time to do that now. Uh, but just to quickly mention that in, he acknowledged in that that um, the takeover talks are ongoing and that um, he will be retaining, um, that he's not going anywhere and that, that essentially that, you know, the way he was talking that a deal is very much um, on the cards in the near future, but that deal would involve people coming in, investing and that, that he would still remain at the club. Uh, with his stake and, and what have you. So I think that the general rumours doing the rounds uh, that uh, Parrish will re- re- retain a fairly hefty stake, Steve Barrett will retain a small stake, and then um, there'll be some more people coming in, which you, you would assume is the Josh Harris uh, group that are looking to invest. So very exciting times for Palace in a way, I think, you know, depending on how that comes about and how it works. Um, certainly, you know... Uh, to have someone in investing in our future should be very, very encouraging. But there you go. I thought it was ex- so exciting to mention that. Even though my tired voice wouldn't really sound like... I'm excited. Are you as excited as I am? I'm absolutely knackered. This has gone on for an hour and 42 minutes now. It's ridiculous. Well, he else did turn around and say, didn't he, Parrish, though? It was, he didn't say anything about the other fellas. No, no, no. So but, maybe they um, maybe they're, I hope they stay. I really do. They're all just genuine guys. I, I think that I mean you've got was Jeremy Hosking, who's is effectively a silent partner anyway, and um, Martin Long, who's who's effectively retired. I think those two might well be happy to to give up their their stake now. The club's secure, oh, and they've they've done I've their bit, and Martin. they can you know. I've watched Martin and his family just sitting in a corner, and he loves he loves the match days. Yeah, but when you just want to be a fan rather than have all the worry of you know dealing with the decisions i don't know i don't know we'll see what happens um so we've done yeah so wouldn't get as good parking space though would he that is true <laughs> i'm sure they'll let him keep that yeah um we're doing a little show on thursday which is going to be uh, it's just an experiment for us more than anything but do join us for it it'll be thursday at 8 p.m uh, and we're not we're, we're talking about stuff that isn't palace or potentially isn't even football we're just going to have a do a actual little radio show that might I mean, be some examples of what you might be talking about no, no, you can't. No, I haven't really thought about it yet. Um, I'm not really sure why. But anyway, that, that, I found politics. out about it. Sorry, I found out about it from four or five people as I walked into the ground. Oh, what's this show about on Thursday, Nick? Well, no. Yeah, well, yeah, it's better that we surprise you with it, right? But anyway, yeah. do join us Thursday night. If you, you're if selling it. it. You are selling it. I'll give you that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just keep an eye on the uh, Twitter account and various other. Th- things that we get involved in and, and we might come up with some ideas for what it's going to be about by thursday there you go does that sell it that's good anyway we're gonna end the show with a uh, an interview we did earlier on with mickey quinn um again we had a great interview earlier on with bobby barry uh, this is also um a, a very enjoyable interview that we did and um mickey's got an awful lot to say uh, not just relating to football in general but an awful lot on palace as well so really hope you enjoy it uh, we're not going to come back after it so um we'll take this opportunity now to say thank you for listening we'll be back next sunday at 8 p.m goodbye don't see anywhere else to start other than with alan pardew as an adopted geordie yourself i guess <laughs> um, what do you make of his decision to leave newcastle and, and join palace well i found it strange in one way in regards of um, how big a club new <laughs> I really hope that's still going out <laughs> <laughs>
I can't. Like I can't Jeffrey. do a Jeffrey though. That's the problem. Yeah, he did rub Jane and Freddie. Oi, oi. <laughs> Ooh. That was good, that. Castle is, and not pretty much sealed next season in regards of uh, Premier League, you know, uh, safety. Mm. And then in another in another reason, I wasn't surprised that in regards of the restrictions he's had since he's been up at Newcastle, i.e. transfer funds and, you know, and, uh, and so on and so on. So, look, I mean... <sighs> I think he's made the right decision personally for Alan Pardew mm. to go back to a club, um, you know, that he can probably manage uh, more freely than he did at Newcastle. That's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> OK, yeah. Right. So uh, when uh, Alan Pardew joined Newcastle, he was sort of brought in to replace quite a popular manager in, in Chris Hewton and sort of the so part of the so-called you know, Cockney Mafia. Do you think he ever had a chance to win the fans' affections while he was at Newcastle? I think he did, yeah. I mean, uh, look, I mean... With, with Mike Ashley, the owner, there's no football reasoning or common sense. Um, he sat Chris Hooten, I think it was was it two weeks after they beat Sunderland in, yeah. in a derby, 5-1. Yeah, I mean, it? it didn't make any, any sort of football sense. So they brought parts in, plucked them from nowhere, really. I think his last job was Southampton. He was out of work for a while. And then they gave him a chance. And I, I think the only thing Alan didn't, didn't help himself was... I've seen a lot of press conferences, um, you know, he, he didn't seem warm in them. And to be fair, since he's gone to Palace, I've enjoyed him talking to the press. It's almost like, he, you know, he's got a big, massive lump off his back, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but up there, he just didn't, he just didn't seem to, I didn't seem to warm to his press conferences. When they were beating Newcastle... He was blaming the fans, blaming the winds, blaming the <laughs> blaming the long grass. He was blaming everyone but himself. And I think that was another thing that didn't adhere to him. But with the results, you know, over the time that he had there, he, he did an okay job, you know. Yeah. I couldn't say he did a bad job, and I couldn't say it was like, oh, the best football I've ever seen. I think what he had to deal with, and the restrictions he had, and, and uh, Mike Ashley, you know, I think... Uh, yeah, you did as well as any manager could do. Mm. I mean, so you, you've sort of covered a little bit of my next question, really. But if you think about the things that he did, and you know, the, the headbutt, or as he put it, pushing away with his head, um, you got the, yeah, the, swe yeah. the swearing at <laughs> I mean, Pellegrini. No, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and then obviously, you all, I bet on thing on Twitter, you described him as arrogant. But do you think maybe that arrogance is, is kind of like you say, it's not really so detectable at, at Palace? Well, yeah, it's unforgivable anyway in regards of headbutts and uh, and he's got a bit of previous honey with Wenger and, I mean, that side of it, I don't care who you are, that shouldn't be in any type of management, you know, yeah. uh, whether you're Jose Mourinho or Alan Pardew. That, you know, that that's just wrong. Um, did that come with the pressure of the job at Newcastle? I, I don't know. I, I don't know, but hopefully he sorted that side of it out. But like I said, he just looks, since he's gone to Palace, he just looks like the world's off his shoulders. He looks like he, he's uh, he's happy again, and I think that that's good for Crystal Palace, and you know, and it's good for Alan Pardew, like I said, uh, because under the restrictions that he uh, he worked with at Newcastle, he obviously felt a bit of pressure. But yeah, I mean, the four years he had at Newcastle, um, like I said, uh, they're okay. That, that's about you know, middle of the table team, sort of left them in ninth or tenth, and that'll probably be about right at the moment. Mm. I mean, at one point he did he did lead the team to a fifth place finish. Where do Newcastle fans? I mean, you obviously know the club very well. Where do Newcastle yeah. fans see their natural position in the Premier League? Well, I think a top eight club, they're genuine top eight club. 
um, to me from the outside. They, I don't think I've any aspirations, really. <laughs> they haven't won a trophy since 1969, and a domestic trophy since 1955, and the trophy they won in 1969 is the Old Fairs Cup, which is not even recognised in Europe now, so I don't know whether that counts. So, so they, they just want, I'll tell you what they want there in Newcastle, they want their team to play a, a really exciting brand of football, a bit like the Kevin Keegan style, you know, when they were second, um, and as long as they see the players playing that type of football, as long as they see uh, players giving, you know, giving really 100%, I mean, you know, I think as long as they're in the Premier League, it's irrelevant uh, in regards of, um, you know, top four. I don't think the no, no uh, Newcastle fan is stupid enough to think they're a genuine top four team. But again, like I said, I, th I think, a, a you know, a top eight team, um, they're more than capable with the players they have are finished there. They've got some good young players there. Yeah. And, you know, Pats finished fifth, but they didn't really go on from that. You know, um, they didn't capitalise on that. And that's not just down to, to Allen. I think, that, I think the team sat back on the laurels after that good season. And I think they didn't invest. They didn't, they didn't push forward to, to get players. So I think it was a combination of, of maybe Allen and Mike Ashley not backing them up. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, the Fairs Cup definitely counts because we're still celebrating the Zenith oh, Systems Cup. Yeah, <laughs> Zenith, Zenith, if the Zenith Data Systems Cup counts, yeah, definitely. Um, so, I mean, you, you made mention of, um, uh, you know, the... The, the sort of backing he got from Mike Ashley, if you like, and often he's had uh, Pardew had to go abroad for for transfers, which maybe we're, we're going to be looking at again uh, at Palace, and he's had to sell the stars of the team, you know, Carroll, Barr, Kabai, for example. I can remember last yeah, yeah. time when when Newcastle beat Palace three 0 at Selhurst, um, when Kabai was still there, he absolutely ran the show. So he's had to lose players like that. So and he's made reference to that being partly behind the decision to leave. So is he being totally fair there? Do you think? Look, I mean, he signed this new stupid eight-year contract, didn't he, not so long ago, <laughs> yeah. which, again, didn't make much football and common sense to me. I mean, what manager signs an eight-year contract? Um, so he knew, he knew that, you know, Mike Ashley um, had a, a certain way of doing things in the transfer uh, system. You know, he doesn't like players signing big contracts, or, or he basically lets players go when they get to about 28, because that's when a player... So it has one big contract left, isn't it? And he lets them go or cashes in on them. Um, so I, I think Alan knew all that. And, you know, and there's a wage structure there. And Alan knew that. And that, again, I, I'm not saying that's wrong. But I think he understood everything. And, and you know, Graham Carr got a great eye. Uh, he's, you know, one of the big influences up at Newcastle, scouting-wise. And he brought a lot of French players in, you know, for three million, four million quid. And selling them on for 10, 12, Debussy, uh, Kabai. So, you know, that, that's good business. And I couldn't really slag Mike Ashley off about that neither. Do you know what I mean? So, because in, in the way the club is run, he, he's run it really well. But I think Pards understood that. But it was just frustrating because if you get a player as good as Kabai, you don't want, you want to build a team around him. You don't want to sell him. And I think that was the frustrating thing about him, you know, because the, the, the whole place fell apart when Kabai uh, left the club last uh, January. Mm. All right. Next question is, is sort of the big one. It's quite a simple question. Do you think Pardew's going to keep Palace up this season? I, I tell you, I mean, I, I never thought they were going to go down this season. Uh, I've watched them quite closely. I mean, I did a couple of dinners up there before Christmas. Um, real good crowd there. And I, I thought the level of performance right from the start of the season has been fine by the players. You know, they've shown uh, a willingness. Um, 
did play some good football in times, and as a Liverpool fan, <laughs> I'll vouch for that, <laughs> uh, when Palace beat them. So, the level of performance hasn't been, you know, has been fine by me, and, and they've looked good enough to stay up by me, but they just haven't converted the, the energy, the work rate, the chances into goals, um, with, you know, and Tottenham away. I think uh, it was one of the best performances this season. Hit the crossbar, hit the post. Deserved three points now, you know, but uh, they just haven't had the best of luck in front of goal. And I think if they cash, you know, if they get a striker, a goal, real genuine goal scorer, I think they're more than stay off. And you know, I've seen with Pards' uh, um, first home win, uh, you know, against Spurs, that, um, you know, they're, they're more than capable of digging in there and getting a result. And then fans at Sellers Park as well. I hated playing there as a footballer, <laughs> um, especially for Portsmouth against Crystal Palace. I remember one of the old Palace players, Vince Allaire, he was playing for Portsmouth at the time, and <laughs> for once they weren't giving me stick, the Palace fans, they were giving Vince stick, and uh, Vince <laughs> lost it and got sent off that game. So that's what they can do. That's the influence yeah. they have, uh, the Crystal Palace fans. So noisy, and they really do get behind the team. And if you're playing in front of that, you know, every couple of weeks, then you've got a big chance of staying up. Absolutely. Now, it's funny you should, you should mention that. Um, obviously, Vince was a massive hero at Palace, but as yeah. so, soon as they leave, <laughs> that's it. Well, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> no. But, I mean, you usually, get a, you usually get a round of applause when you go off. Yeah. Sadly for him, he got sent off, and he got a couple of uh, Crystal Palace waves or hand <laughs> gestures. <laughs> You've, uh, that's obviously, just slightly as you could put it. Yeah. Obviously, you must have played a, a fair few times at Sellerst, or, or just against Palace in general, not necessarily yeah, at Sellerst. Yeah. Any yeah. other any other memorable moments? I ever played against Wimbledon at Celeste as well, you know, and uh, I used to hate when they were there as well, Wimbledon, because I remember the ghetto blaster blaring out the crazy gang, and um, just the noise level when you go into the away team dressing room, and you heard uh, Jones, uh, Billy Jones screaming, you know, and uh, you uh, <laughs> a thud, 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 and then you looked up and it was... Uh, um, fashion your butt on the wall, you know, in preparation to, <laughs> to go out and take you on, and wow. it was mad. Yeah, honestly, it was really intimidating and mad. But as far as Palace, I mean, I played loads of times there. I mean, I, I played my first game for Portsmouth there, um, which was a Tuesday night, and we won one nil. And I tell you, who was playing up front with me, Mick Shannon. Oh, yeah. And I always remember it. Alan Knight just punted a long ball. I flicked it on. Mick Shannon ran through and scored the winning goal, 1-0. And that was a good memory from uh, from Celeste Park. That was my first ever game on a Tuesday night for, uh, oh, wow. for, for, for Portsmouth. Both uh, and our awake, our awake, it was a bit like the, the Palace. Uh, it was white and it had like a, a blue sash. And oh, had right, yeah, a, yeah. A, another coloured sash across our awake. So, oh, yeah, cool. I remember that vividly. But it is a tough place for any team to go to. And I think this season, with, with Alan Pardew there, he's given the squad a lift. He's obviously weighing the, weighing the team up, I think, with the crowd behind him. Yeah, I, I think there'll be three worst teams on them, definitely. Brilliant. Good. Um, we had a question in on Twitter from, from The Hunt Man, and he says, Palace are about the only club you didn't play for in your career. Why is that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't play for any London club. Um, I was a Northern Monkey. I don't know why. Uh, was that a conscious decision? Yeah. No, no. I, I mean, I, I played at Portsmouth and... After playing in the Northwest for a various amount of teams, Oldham, Stockport, and Wigan, mm. um, I took the plunge to go down south to Portsmouth. I had three good years there, including a promotion and relegation. 
hooked up with uh, well met Alan Ball, who was absolutely brilliant. Um, Alan met Mick Shannon down there as well, so I had some good connections. But I wanted to be recognised as a goal scorer, and I was leading goal scorer at every club I went to. I ended up club captain at Portsmouth, but they were skinned basically. So you know, I went to Newcastle. And I, but being down the south coast, you know, you don't really know a lot of what's going on. You know Newcastle, you know they're a big club, you know there's lots of tradition, but, you know, apparently it all kicked off the season before. The fans were burning shirts on the pitch, they wanted the current board out. I mean, it's a bit like now, isn't it? <laughs> you know? but, uh, I, uh, I signed there, and you know what? They worshipped a goal scorer up there. They worshipped anyone who wore the number nine shirt. And no... No striker for 20 years had scored 20 league goals. And in fact, no one wanted to wear the number nine shirt because of historic players that played for there. Malcolm McDonald, Huey Gallagher, Jackie Milburn. Anyway, I got the, I got the shirt, I went up there and uh, I put the number nine on, scored four on my debuts against Leeds and got 39 that season. And then we just went hand in hand. And then it was it was the Premier League after that, Coventry, and then coming to my end of career and um, and that was it. it just didn't work out the Palace or any any London club I, I don't know I think Wimbledon were interested when I was at Newcastle yeah. when they you know they had that sort of decent team and they were paying out a few quid I think they offered uh, two million quid but uh, they turned it down Newcastle so just one of them things for some reason yeah. I, I didn't uh, I didn't play for London club yeah Okay. The big news, you, you know, you being a, a red, um, you know, born in the on the town as well, um, in the city, call it a town. Um, <laughs> Steve, <is. laughs> I was born. In, would you believe it? I was born in a place called Everton <laughs> in Liverpool. Oh, oh dear. But um, I, I'm, I'm a big Liverpool supporter, and my brother uh, was a blue. And, and uh, when he was born, they dropped him on his head, and the midwife slapped his face instead of his backside. And he's been bitter. <laughs> he's been bitter ever since. A bit like all the other blue noses. <laughs> but uh, yeah, been a lifelong red. Lifelong what, red. What, what did you make of the? Uh, I mean, I know you commented on a few times actually the Steven Gerrard situation, not off, being offered a contract um, early enough, and, and deciding his uh, future lay in, in America. Yeah, I'm gutted for him because uh, if you go back to last summer. You know, we packed England career in as captain to get some, uh, you know, uh, prolong his Liverpool career, basically, to get another two, three years out of it. Um, in the summer, he wasn't offered a contract. He, he, he's publicly said that if he was offered a contract last summer when he retired from England, he would have signed it. Then uh, he was asked about it last November. Uh, it's still no contract. And I, I just thought it was a little bit disrespectful uh, by whoever decision it was, you know, uh, not to offer him what he wanted, because he's carried that club for a long time, you know, and uh, they offered him a one year after him publicly saying something, he turned it down, and, and uh, now he's going to play in the MLS, but, look, I, I don't blame him, I really don't, I mean, like I said, he's, he's been a legend there, and I, I used him, a lot of media, uh, and a lot of fans, and a lot of uh, ex Pros or pundits now use legend too often for my liking, but the guy, uh, the kid is uh, Stephen Gerrard. He's from Eton. I think every team needs a player that fans can look at and relate to. You know, this is a kid, working class background, through ranks, captain this country, captain Liverpool, and really, when you look back at some of the games, uh, he basically won trophies for Liverpool, and they should have given him what he wanted, uh, you know, I'm so disappointed the way it's worked out, I know football moves on, and I know that there's hardly any sentiment, especially in the Premier League these days, but this is one guy, you know, I'm sure if they'd have offered him a couple of years, 
with maybe a coaching role at the end of it, he'd have definitely signed. But yeah. well, the, the game moves on. And again, uh, Brendan Rodgers and Fenway Group, they have their reasons. So, um, you know, Stephen will give everything between now and the end of the season and try and win another trophy for Liverpool. I know that's guaranteed. Mm. That's, it's just a shame you just kind of want that perfect ending for someone like him, don't you? But um, yeah, yeah. Look, but, but what I'm saying is he hasn't played with the. You know, they all bang on about it. He never won. The, he's never won the Premier League with Liverpool or Liverpool never won the Premier League. You know, you look at some of them great Liverpool teams. You know, and one of my idols was Kenny Dalglish as a, a, a as a boy of Kim Keegan growing up in Liverpool, and they had fantastic players, world class players in their team. Stephen's ever had a a team, you know, reflected in in regards of being world class, and uh, like I said, he's had to carry the team after time. But you know, I don't even think the Premier League. He got close last season, but I just think if he went out with a, with a bang and he went out with a trophy, uh, I think he'd be well satisfied. And I can see him back there in the future, definitely, as mm. a, in a coaching role or managerial role. Yeah, you mentioned that that really high finish last season, and Brendan Brendan Rodgers got a lot of praise for that. But this season, sort of seen quite a lot of negativity towards him. Do you think he's the well, man to sort of deliver a return to the glory days? It's funny how, that, how football changes, and you know, I talked about Alan Pardew when Newcastle finished fifth. Um, I think the players sat back in the summer uh, after finishing fifth at Newcastle and thought, "Oh, we're good players," and I think Alan Pardew thought, "Oh, I'm a good manager." And then with uh, <laughs> with Mike Ashley at that time, not backing the team up with new signings or fresh blood, I think uh, that that's what happened. And I think pretty much the same. I think losing Suarez was a massive loss. Yeah. But um, you know, when he was when he was banned, I think he was, the first six games of the season uh, last season when they finished second, uh, the first six games we were they were we, Liverpool were without Suarez and they were top of the league. And they played that high-pressing game. So they could do it. But I didn't see any of that at the start of this season. They were slow. They were predictable. You know, and uh, and teams worked them out a little bit after last year. And I think Brendan, I think um, some of the players, again, sat back and thought, oh, yeah, I'm a good player. You know, yeah, we're in the Champions League. And I think Brendan's been tested uh, tactically, you know, and some of his decisions, I mean, some of his decisions this season, to me, not as a Liverpool fan, but as a footballer, didn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. You know, leaving Real Madrid out, sorry, leaving Steven Gerrard out, Sterling, you know, playing Real in the Champions League. Well, I just couldn't believe it. I thought Brendan had got it wrong. I thought it was the uh, uh, the league. <laughs> With the team he put out. I mean, the team did okay, don't get me wrong, but any yeah. team, I think, would have raised the, the game. And if he had, and the way it worked out in the Champions League, if he had played Gerard, if he had played Sterling, if he had played Hennessy, some of the big guns, they might have nicked a point there at the Bernabeu, and that would have been an, enough to send them through. But he was more interested in the Chelsea game on the Saturday and wrestling a lot of them players. Look, I think they've come through it a little bit now. I think they're getting back there, Liverpool, to that intensity, closing down, and good football, you know, and, and, and they sort of got over the Suarez, Suarez leaving Liverpool. And they're getting back. And I still think they can make the top four, especially if Rich uh, gets back into that team. Because, yeah. you know, Man United, uh, they haven't impressed me since Van Gaal's been there, although they've won games. Arsenal have been inconsistent, especially away from home. Spurs um, have looked good in certain games, and then, you know, they're beatable. Liverpool have been inconsistent. So, I think it's still up for grabs. Southampton have, have done marvellously well to, to, to get in the top four. 
uh, whether they'll stay there, I mean, at this moment in time, they look like they're going to hang around for a while. So yes. I still think there's a place up for grabs, and I still think Liverpool, if they keep improving the way they have done the last sort of 10, 12 games, they're capable of, uh, with Sturridge getting fit to, to get back in the top four. Mm. Uh, talking of, of Liverpool and, you know, obviously in relation to Palace, it's been an interesting couple of games the last couple of game times at Sellers Park, isn't there? You a big Dwight Gale fan? Do you know, I, 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 I met with uh, my producer at TalkSport, I do the weekend sports records on TalkSport, the producer of Palace fan, Ian Morris, and uh, I had a bet with him, start of the season, that Dwight Gale would be top scorer, because um, he got Fraser Campbell there, and uh, I thought, you know, he'll score against Liverpool, doesn't he? And I thought, mm. he should get more game time, but Neil Warnock didn't give him that sort of game time. Now, I know he's played under Alan Pardew, he got a goal against Stover in the FA Cup, and he played a little bit wide against Spurs at Tellers Park, uh, Park's first home game uh, in, in the Premier League. And he did a good job. You know, he scored a penalty, uh, he, he hit a wicked crossing towards Glenn Murray, he just couldn't get on the end of it. And, uh, you know, maybe that could be his position where he might nick a goal from a wide position. So, look, he, he looks a little bit lightweight um, for the Premier League, but I do like him. I do think he's got an eye for goal. I don't think he's he's been given a fair chance there at Palace under previous managers uh, to get a good run of games under his belt. So he could be crucial, just popping up with the odd goal, but I still think Palace need a, a goal scorer. I thought Glenn Murray did well against uh, Spurs. He's a bit more of a physical presence up front than Campbell or, or Dwight Gale, and he holds the ball up well. And um, yeah. I, I thought... That, that was good, you know, bringing other players into play, big presence, putting himself about. I think he did well there, but uh, I still think if they do get a goal scorer, and they're going to stay up comfortably. Okay, got one last question, so I'll, uh, I'll run and we'll let you go. So, uh, a few weeks ago, you spoke at a couple of dinner events at South Park. You, you mentioned it a while ago. Uh, Steve Parrish was at one of them. Did you get a chance to speak to him at all? And, and what did you think of the setup, Palace in general? Yeah, Steve couldn't make it. Um, oh, I, I was... I, yeah, I was with Mark Bright uh, one night and um, picking his brains uh, about the club. Um, I really enjoyed the two nights there and I got a great welcome uh, from the sponsors, um, from a few Palace fans as well. And I was amazed to see how the club's changed since I was last there. You know, some of the sponsors' boxes, um, you know, some of the restaurants around the ground now and, and the actual place uh, where we did the, the, the two dinners as well. Uh, it was a fantastic uh, setup. And uh, yes, certainly moved on the club since since I was last there, uh, you know, as a player and a pundit. And it's good to see. I mean, I love the tradition of Sellers, but obviously with corporate and one thing or another, you know, you've got to move with the times. And the club's certainly done that. And it's got, you know, uh, some great go-ahead ideas to, you know, to get more people, uh, more fans there as well. And, and, and I think, they, you know, if they do extend uh, Sellers Park, I, I still think they'll, they'll get plenty more fans there come to see Crystal Palace. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Mickey, for joining us. That's, that's all we've uh, all the questions we've got for you. And just uh, a note for the listeners: remember, you can Mickey on Talk Sports Saturdays and Sundays. It's the uh, the weekend sports with Georgie Bingham, seven to eleven every uh, every Sunday. Cheers, lads. Cheers, thank Mickey. You. Thank, thank you. you. The Eagles Element news, views, and reviews on Crystal Palace. www.theeagleselement.com yeah, Chris, just give me five. I've just jumped out the shower. Just give me oh, five yeah. minutes. No and I'm, I'll be with you, mate. Okay, bye-bye. Nice Bye. one. Bye.
best outstanding bookstores. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.